All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Spooky Town. Um, we are a horror podcast um, talking about films, um, books, video games, and just really everything horror. Um, we're really excited to be here for episode seven. We have a very uh, special episode for you today. Uh, not only are we talking about folk horror, but we have a special guest on the podcast with us. His name is Scott Benson. Welcome. Um, Welcome, Scott. Round of applause. <laughs> Thank you. Did you hear that uproarious yeah. round of applause? But... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Scott is amazing. He is the co-creator of Night in the Woods, Longest Night, and Lost Constellation. Um, and he works as an animator and an illustrator. And he's an all-around just creative badass. So we're really excited to have him here. <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's, just, that's like one of the nicer introductions I've had on a podcast. <laughs> What's the worst introduction you've had on a podcast? Oh, geez. I don't know. I haven't been on a lot of really bad podcasts. I've, I've occasionally, I don't want to call anyone out in case they're listening, but I've occasionally right, been right. on like a podcast where like you show up and you realize that like this host is like barely including you in the podcast at all. <laughs> and they're just kind of talking and you're just like, all right, I'm just going to hang out here and. Wait for wait, wait to have nowhere I'm supposed to do some input at some point, you know, uh, that sort of thing. But mostly people are um, on podcasts. I've noticed mostly people are just like, please, please give us content, please. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> we're, we're bringing you on. Like, here's a bunch of space. Please just talk. Uh, kind of thing. Please, uh, God, help us. <laughs> please, oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, guests are to be seen and not heard, is our philosophy. It's true. Yeah. In, a, on a, in an audio medium, that's, that's <laughs> <Yes>. right. <laughs> especially apparent. <laughs> that's why we have video, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah. Mm. Um, <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on, Scott. We're super, super excited to have you. Um, we have some questions for you, of course, and then um, that'll lead us right into our main segment, which is, of course, talking about folk horror, the history of it, um, sort of how the themes have developed um, and evolved over the years. And then we'll um, wrap up with just talking about what's what we think is next for the genre itself. So, um, so Scott... We'd love to know, um, how has horror, the genre specifically, influenced your creative work? Um, so, yeah, I, th I think it horror is one of those things that I never thought of, like, I'm a horror fan. Like, I'm going to, like, conventions and getting autographs from, like, the guy who played Jason Voorhees or something um, and, or anything <laughs> like that. Um, I wasn't, like, someone who's like, I'm a horror hound or whatever, <laughs> something like that. Right. Um, but then, like, I realized, like, over the years, I'm like, oh, shit, but most of what I watch actually is horror. Most of what I read is horror. And most of the stuff I work on has a horror element to it. Um, and it actually wasn't until my friend Charles was like, dude, you got to get on Letterboxd so that we could, like, look at each other's movies and rank them and stuff. And I was like, <laughs> all right, fine. Um, and then I was like, oh, Letterboxd is great because I can, like, it has, like, a that watch list thing. So I can, mm -hmm. like, keep track of stuff. So it's, like, great because, you know, you hear about a bunch of movies, especially if you're into horror. Like, there's a lot of stuff where it's, like, you're going to hear about that once and then never again. You So you better write it down right. or something. Um, so now I have, like, this mile-long watch list, which is great. But it wasn't until I started reviewing things on that. Uh, and I was like, this is literally two-thirds of everything I watch a horror movie. And, like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It turns out. And then I'd be like adding up most of like my favorite films and like half of those are just 
horror films. Right. Um, (laughs) And so then when I tracked it back, I was like, oh, right. Like most of the stuff or a lot of the stuff I've liked in life creatively, like as far as fiction goes, has some sort of horror element to it, whether it's um, somewhere within the kind of like folklore ghost story thing or something that's just like a fairly violent, grim uh, you know, spectacle of, of some sort. Um, it's just kind of somewhere ended up in, mm-hmm. in that thing. And like, like I'm sure we'll talk about this in a second, but like, like full core, like horror is such kind of a broad term, you know, right. it's like, you know, I have like a shutter subscription now and it's everything from like very kind of elegiac ghost story stuff to just like, this is basically just an action movie, but very gory kind of. Right. Um, right. <laughs> uh, so yeah it always is and it's ended up um influencing my own work a lot just because like made a joke a while ago that it's like it, it's kind of hard for us because i work with my wife um it's kind of hard for us to make um something things that don't have some horror element and some comedic element to it because it's like otherwise it's like hard to talk about reality <laughs> right <laughs> it's, yes. it's like it's like yeah it's kind of funny but also pretty horrific like you, it's hard to capture the fullness of everything without diving at least a little bit into that. So yeah. Horror and comedy kind of like naturally go hand in hand, I think, because at some point if you can't laugh at it, it's like, this is all consuming. And I mean, there certainly are horror movies that aren't funny at all um, and have no humor to them. But uh, yeah, I think some of the greatest horror movies can kind of, laugh at how ridiculously dark it is and horrifying the world is. (laughs) Right. I feel like, um, like a lot of horror comedy doesn't do a lot for me just because comedy is hard to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and everything, but the, um, but I think a lot of like horror movies have that kind of element to them of like, um, a little bit of a, like it's either like camp Mm -hmm. or it's, um, a kind of like, yeah, we, we know that this is ridiculous. Just go with us. (laughs) Yeah, you know, even exactly. when it's not like explicit, like Bram Stoker's Dracula was one of my favorite movies. Like, I really adore that movie, like unironically, and it's super, super campy. You know, mm, like yes. you kind of have to know going it. It's not a comedy, but it's very funny, mm-hmm. um, and not even in an unintentional way. Although occasionally, I think it is. But the, um, but it it has that level of super high camp to it. That is, mm-hmm. you know, this is just so ridiculous and like everyone is chewing the scenery and doing the worst accents uh but it works you know but it's played totally sincerely um in this kind of like eyebrow waggling like isn't this cool and like poetic and everything and like sure sure whatever one on a writer doing a british accent fantastic <laughs> we'll take it any day of the week anthony yes. hopkins devouring every bit of scenery yeah <laughs> as he does yeah, yeah um I think, yeah, I mean, horror definitely uses comedy as a way to kind of cut the tension sometimes and maybe give you a little bit of relief when things are really starting to build up. I think that comedy, yeah, is absolutely, like Stephanie said, goes hand in hand with with the horror genre. And what's um, we forgot to actually introduce Jay, by the way. Yeah. We, have a, we have a second guest. He's, he's special, but he's not as special. as. No, I'm just kidding. He's second not most special, special guest. The second most special guest on the show, Jay. Steph, you want to introduce Jay? Well, Jay is my boyfriend. Um, mm-hmm. He's played a good amount of Night in the Woods, um, and he's been a, a big fan of that game for a while. I remember watching him play it and... It just seemed like a really great game. But do you want to also introduce yourself? Um, I do want to 
I didn't not finish the game because there's anything wrong with it. I just don't finish anything. Yeah, we're the same. We just <laughs> yeah, like fine. we'll get to the last thing, like the last episode of something, and never finish oh, yeah. it ever again. Well, and then I, just I can't believe restarted. you didn't finish the entire game and know everything about it. Just like I'm so insulted right now. I well, finished we're it. Like, and Ashley finished it. <laughs> I was I was genuinely sad when it ended. I was like, I no, it's not over. Let me go back and make different decisions. No, I want to. <laughs> It, it is funny. Occasionally, someone will be like, "Like I played the game, I didn't finish it." I'm like, "Literally, thank you for even trying it." I think. <laughs> um, and then, like one time, I do remember like talking to someone. They're like, "Oh, I played, I played uh, Night in the Woods." I was like, "Oh, okay, cool." And they're like, "I didn't think it was very good." <laughs> it's like, oh. "All right, wow, <laughs> fair, yeah." <laughs> it, that, that's all okay. right. It's fine. <laughs> it was just like I don't know how like what my facial expression was supposed to be like. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I don't. I don't mind. That's totally fine. But I'm like, yeah. they just kind of like left it there, and I was like, I'm like, what is the, what is the proper reaction to this? Like, thank you. Yeah. It kind <laughs> of reminds me of working in like customer service. Like, I used to be a barista, and someone would come up to me and be like, "This is gross," and I'm like, "Okay." Right. I'm like, do you want anything from me? I don't. What do you want exactly? Yeah. Someone just like leaves it there like like, like um this is gross like your like your like dog or your cat just comes and drops something at your feet and you're like what do i <laughs> thank you time, I'm, thank you i'm I sorry guess. <laughs> what are you looking what is for? my reaction supposed to be What's the, what are you looking for here yeah <laughs> speaking of food service uh the burning question on everyone's mind is is snack falcon giant eagle i no. saw that somewhere <laughs> uh no, um, so like the the joke about the food, like the blank um, animal, was uh, there's a chain of um, of of grocery stores called Food Lion, which I always thought was really funny because it's just like Food Lion. It's where you, it's the lion of food, um, not groceries, just food in general. Um, so, a harbinger um, of food. There was that, and then. My friend Britt, his uh, friend called his cat like a ham panther, I think, or a food donkey or something. One of those things. Um, and so that was really funny. So I was telling my friend Charles about this aforementioned, and um, we were just coming up with different names, and his was Snack Falcon. And so that became like our 7-Eleven, basically. I love and it. Then, and then um, Food Donkey, if I remember correctly, was like basically the old giant eagle in town. Uh, that had gone out, and then Ham Panther. Well, this is really all very stupid sounding when I actually just list all of it out. But uh, in context, it's funnier. But um, then Ham Panther is like a Walmart, if I remember correctly. Something. Oh, gotcha. So yeah, um, Giant Eagle is really funny though because I'll mention to people from outside the area like I used to work at Giant Eagle, and they're like, I cannot by that name. I cannot figure out what that business. Is. Right. Like food I, lion, you at least know there's food. Like, what the hell is Giant Eagle? Like, vaguely fashion business, or <laughs> we used to vaguely? work at Giant Eagle, and what? Yeah, and when Ashley told us, well, Snack Falcon might be the play on Giant Eagle. I was like, man, I hope not, because boy, <laughs> was that an experience we both had, a mildly I, traumatic. <laughs> I worked at Giant Eagle for about three years in the early two thousands. And stuff. So yeah. I have some 
a lot of my service industry, like a lot of that, that game has a lot of service industry in it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just from years of doing like telemarketing and grocery store work and like other mm-hmm. service industry jobs, which is like what, how I spent most of my twenties. And, um, the, uh, so yeah, I've got some, I also, I got some fun, uh, stories. Where, which, where did you work? Like, what was your giant Eagle? Like we worked at the market district shady side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I worked in the little Starbucks in there. And I was a barista and then he worked in the bakery and which was right across from Starbucks. So we would see each other and be like, hi, we're so <laughs> depressed. <laughs> this Were is you dating worst. at that point or is this how you met? Was Did you have a giant eagle like you saw each no, other over the counters? We did not. We did not have a giant eagle romance. That across, been funny, the, across the aisle. Working hey. at at an almost fascist store really brings you together. It's you know? pretty fascist. <laughs> no, we met online 10, 11 years ago, actually, over Twitter. So, yeah. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> Twitter brings people together and tears them apart. It does. Mercilessly. Yes. It giveth and taketh away. I worked at a <laughs> giant eagle in Indiana, Pennsylvania, um, okay. which is... Um, for listeners who are somehow unfamiliar with the Western Pennsylvania region, it's about, it's a, a small kind of college town that's like mm-hmm. an hour and a half west of, east of Pittsburgh. And I was there just because I didn't go to college, but I was, uh, a bunch of people I was in a band with uh, went to college there, so I ended up just living in the town. And so um, there was a giant eagle there right across from like Frat Row. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was one of like the smaller franchises that's like, you know, independently owned, but is part of the larger franchise. And it was owned by this guy who he, he's dead now, so I can badmouth him by name. But it's this guy, <laughs> Ed Bratton, who was just one of those like local small town, like bigwigs that like if you're outside of the city limits, you've never heard of this guy. But once you're in town, then it's a big deal that, you know, Ed Bratton. He was just this like incredibly like thousand year old dude who is just this like hyper conservative rich guy um mm-hmm. and like the kind of the definition of like the very big like big fish in a small pond type of thing mm-hmm. right so um and he was just horrible and awful and ran the place terribly what? and all that <laughs> um but I, I have all these memories though of like um i used to do i worked the front end i was the front end guy there for a while and then um also i did a lot i worked in produce i did bagging i did all cashier i did all kinds of stuff but the uh when I ended up in the front end, they would occasionally send me out to do, um, or when I was at like the service desk, they'd send me out to do deliveries. And mm-hmm. so, and um, Indiana County is pretty rural for the most part. So like I'm out there driving the big old green panel van for the store <laughs> that um, gets used because Mr. Bratton, the owner, uh, used to do like pig roasts for like people and stuff. And so I'd be like hauling pig carcasses around the county while delivering groceries to people. So I'd like step out of the van in the summer and just this pig smell would just oh. kind of like, <laughs> like, you know, this miasma of hog kind of like follow me uh, and, and all that. And I occasionally like go out to someplace and there'd just be this older guy who's like, well, I know, I know who Ed Bratton is. And I'm like, yeah, he's like the guy who owns the store. And he's like, I know, but we, we go, we go back and stuff. And you're like, Oh, yeah. right. I'm bumping into like the people who are kind of like the coattail riders of this kind of like yes. small town tyrant. What is it about that? Like when you work in the service industry, because same, I, I worked retail service, like I did everything in my 20s. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what is it about that type of customer? They come in and they're like, I know the owner. And you're like, great. 
Congrats. I do too. I don't care. You did it. Yeah. Great. They underpay me. So maybe you could ask. Can you talk to him about the sexual harassment, please? Yeah. Right. Jesus. Can you you broach the topic of this? Because we don't have to do it without getting fired. Yeah. Right. Can I have maybe one sick day? I don't know. Like. I remember when I got that job, we had like an orientation um, with uh, this woman, Meg, who kind of looked like Jane Lynch, sort of. Um, (laughs) And uh, she was cool and all. We got along. She was just very like. I'm 55 and tough as nails and stuff. Like she's someone who would refer to herself as a tough old broad or something yes. kind of thing. Um, you always work with that person. That yeah. Person. Yeah. Yep. And Every, like, yep. That is a great person type. Like that kind of thing is like, it's like, I'm really nice. I'm a little grouchy because I'm not going to take any shit, but uh, how you doing? How you doing kid? Kind yeah. of thing. Like, um, so she was kind of his like, you know, right hand. Um, and uh, the only time we ever spoke to him during that orientation and we were kind of like ushered into like the across the parking lot was this old white house called the white house that was basically was like the, the, the head office of the giant eagle so we'd go in there and then go up to like this kind of back bedroom that had been retrofitted into this guy's office and there's this again this fantastically old guy and the only thing he said is like oh like you know you're representing me and everything out there and blah 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 and if any of you ever talk about unionizing you are fired immediately <laughs> amazing which was uh which which is which is pretty great um i was like 19 at the time i didn't know shit about any of that stuff so i was like all right whatever and so yeah. now i'm like oh that's hilarious that's so illegal that's very, very yeah. incredibly <laughs> right. but so now that i'm like somewhat involved in like labor stuff i'm now i'm like oh that is that is twisted and funny <laughs> yeah right oh that's awful yeah no absolutely oh Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm <laughs> always happy to revisit the awful days of um, being an early 20 something and working in the service industry and just getting owned by your bosses. <laughs> what I find now is that and I don't know if um, if any of you have had this happen, but you find yourself occasionally wanting to mention to a cashier that you were also a cashier at one yes, point yes, and stuff yeah. and like they don't give a shit at all no one can like, like what what i worked at like uh, any sort of customer service job or any service industry job like the, if the if some customer was like oh well i used to do this too i'd be like great great fantastic mm-hmm. and stuff but i feel myself wanting to mention i don't know why i don't know what like like they're like gonna be like, oh, okay, code. then you're cool and we're fine. Right. We have a different rapport now or something. They, yeah. Instead of yeah. just like, hey, man, I'm exactly. like the secret code of customer service pain. It's like, I got mm-hmm. you. I, yeah. 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 I like I'm a here. good, I'm a good, I'm one of the good I'm not ones. A regular Don't worry. Customer. Yeah, there is. <laughs> I'm one of the cool, okay, I'm not like other customers, all right? Yeah. I used to. <laughs> I know how to bag my groceries because I used to do this professionally. Okay? Right. Yes. You know, um, I've always remembered the code for bananas. Um, 4011. Yeah. Yes. 4011. <laughs> always remembered that code. I think so, 4064 <laughs> is cabbage, maybe. I think. Yes. Four, isn't it 4068 is cucumbers? Something like that. I forget. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, like, you know, the organic always has like the nine in front of it or whatever. Oh, yeah. But. I remember, so I remember that code and I was at self-checkout one day and I, I'm so proud of myself for like knowing the code for bananas. So I like typed it in and the guy saw me and he's like, whoa. And I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> I'm really cool. I feel like you should start a podcast called highlight. the 4011. 
and just talk about <laughs> service industry. It's just <laughs> about bananas. Yeah, or just about bananas. Now I'm just picturing kind of like like you need like NPR voice for that. Like, welcome to the 401. <laughs> your podcast, everything about bananas. Um, your source for banana news. Um, oh my god yes oh real yellow journalism if i may um (laughs) (laughs) i could keep going see there's there's stuff there (laughs) can i go jay has to leave apparently we already introduced you okay awkwardly 10 minutes (laughs) the second special guest (laughs) yeah um (laughs) completely different subject but uh scott did you have any (laughs) Any horror influences growing up? You talked a little bit about that when we were talking about your influences um, in your for your creative work. But was there anything early on that you can remember kind of sparking your interest? Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, specifically, so it was in the 80s. So like slasher movie, like franchise, like villains work like you can get um, like, you know, a Freddy Krueger lunchbox or something, which is great. Now it's like kind of unheard of. Like, that's kind of weird and funny that like, um. But that was kind of like that was that was kind of a cool time because, yeah, like Freddy and Leatherface and all these like kind of big, large looming slasher movie um, franchise mascots basically were as prevalent as like Garfield or something. And like that was cool and stuff. So I always thought that was pretty dope when I was a kid. I wasn't allowed to watch any of that, obviously. Like I was raised in a pretty... um, pretty restrictive Christian household when it came to media. So like, I was just like, catch it as I could and stuff. And like, like I'd hear like a commercial for like, you know, nightmare on Elm street part five and say like a stop motion skeleton and be like, yeah. And a lot of like my favorite movies when I was a kid were like, like when I was like three years old, I saw like clash of the Titans, like the old Ray Harryhausen one, which had like, you know, this cool stop motion Medusa and stuff and and like um all these cool monsters and then um, i remember that i remember yeah. that i love that movie and then seeing like even like the indiana jones movies that had like this very strong horror element at times like you know people like melting and exploding and yes ghosts and uh and the, brains. And, yeah <laughs> now like i watch it as as like an adult and i'm like you should put all those relics back sir but um yeah <laughs> You need to repatriate those. Who are you, white man, going yeah. in there and taking things for museums? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm like, if I can divorce my brain from the colonialism <laughs> aspect of it, I'm like, yeah, he's cool. Right. But um, the, uh, and then like, um, I saw Jaws way too early, probably when I was like in second grade <laughs> or no, in like first grade and like developed this like fear of sharks. And then, um, but it was like the never ending story was, had this, has these huge, pretty grim elements to it uh when i was a kid and i just i liked being scared in that way and like in that that scared in the way that makes you kind of wonder about stuff and um, which is why like like characters like freddy krueger were cool because there was this supernatural like unknown element to it um Mm. and i think Mm -hmm. when i was a kid i connected with that with like folklore actually a lot i wouldn't have called it folklore at the time but i would look like ghost stories and regional you know, stuff. Cause we moved around a lot. I was born in Texas and lived in Ohio and then California and then New Jersey before coming out to Pennsylvania and like my adult life. And so I was always like interested. Now I would look back at it and go, Oh, I was just interested in different regions and what made different regions unique. Cause I was moving around a lot to very different places. And I was always interested in like, Oh, what are the ghost stories around here? Like what is mm-hmm. the local monster around here? 
and that kind of, and I had a lot of time by myself when I was a kid. So like just kind of really connecting to like landscape and region and that kind of like local feeling and then connecting that to, Oh, it feels like, like the monsters are different out here or the ghosts are different. They're all, they're, there's this, there's a similarity, but they're just kind of different and kind of connecting that with location and all that, like gave me this, uh, and just with like interesting, weird, magical monster shit. Um, um, especially with like folklore, because it has a lot of these um, either borrowed or direct um, religious aspects to it, um, and that kind of using that sort of like religious mythology, like vampires, is like extremely at least the way we know it is in. Uh, and we'll probably talk about this when we get into the folk stuff, but it, it has this very like it's a European, very Christian influenced thing. There's like crosses and like eternal life and you know, souls and all that kind of stuff. This these really um, particular uh, tropes that you get out of, out of the, the context of Christianity. And so I think that was like just what my brain was doing as a kid was essentially synthesizing all that. And I just ended up checking out a lot of books from the library about like ghost stories or folklore. And I just wanted to read about the monsters and the like ghosts that were like, and like people getting like murdered and haunting <laughs> unknown yeah. wandering unknown like copses of pines somewhere and uh all that so i was just um and i also think that horror was like helpful for me as a kid because like not to out myself as like an adult but like I, I was really bullied as a kid a lot like i was like pretty badly like like broken bones badly it was bad and yeah. stuff oh. and um when I look at it now, it's fine. It all turned out okay. But the, uh, <laughs> but um, when I look at it now, like I remember when we, we, and we moved around a lot. So I would have to base, I would like make a friend and then we'd move and then I'd make a friend and then we'd move. And so I was kind of perpetually the new kid and I was just this kind of like nerdy uh, little guy. And um, I realized around like third grade or whatever, like I was drawing more and more like morbid, more and more like gory, bloody stuff. And my dad at one point was like, why are you like drawing all of this? <laughs> and I remember at the time saying like, well, if I draw it, it can't hurt me, which is like a, mm -hmm. one of those like lines that if you saw in a movie, you'd be like, no kid talks like that or whatever. But that was, <laughs> that was just what I came out with at the time, not realizing that it seemed it was like very philosophical or whatever. But I think it was like a and like I had been around like some death when I was a kid. And I think it was just a way of like, oh, things are bad and I'm experiencing violence fairly regularly and a lot of loneliness. And I, there's people I know who have died who are like younger. So this was also like my way, I think, of getting comfortable with those aspects of things. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, absolutely. And we, we talk about that here quite a bit because I think um, one of the reasons that Steph and I, well, I won't speak for Stephanie, but we've talked about this before. One of the reasons we love um, the genre and I think we connect with it so well is, and <laughs> the reason that our brains, I think react a little bit differently to it than other people's is because it puts you in a really like stressful situation or a situation that is quite dangerous, but it's a fictionalized situation. So you mm. can kind of deal with it in a way that is separate from reality. Right. Um, so for people who have gone through something traumatic, you know, as a child or, um, you know, cause we've, we've dealt with those things as well. It's like, it's almost comforting to watch and to see like, you know, the person come out the other side or, um, you know, defeat the demon or, or whatever it is, you know, you can kind of watch someone be in a really stressful, dangerous situation um, from the comfort of your couch. Right. And kind of work through it, you know, in your mm -hmm. own mind. Oh, yeah. 
And I think a big thing for me is that, uh, you know, like Ashley was saying, it helps you like cope with things. But then also the reason I, I just have been sticking to horror my entire life outside of just I love it is that it's I feel like it's one of the only genres outside of, in my opinion, like speculative science fiction that's constantly digging deeper and constantly trying to ask why we do these things and why we do these things to each other or you know, what are our anxieties and what are our traumas? And I don't find a whole lot of other genres are like asking those questions and they're not discovering new territory. And I feel like horror is constantly discovering new territory for each other and for yourself. And I'm not really interested a lot of the time. Like I I still watch other things, you know, I'm not just always watching horror. Um, But other things feel a lot more complacent to me. And horror feels like it's constantly curious and it's constantly seeking out new answers um, or just discovering each other. And I'm very curious about other people and like, you know, other cultures and things like that. Like, I just I want to know what what do you deal with on a daily basis and how can how does it relate to maybe what I deal with? And it's just it's I feel like it's a really good genre for people who have gone through a lot of trauma in their lives because. I don't know. It's on some level, you kind of connect with all like people, all protagonists in horror movies. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I think generally that's the goal, Mm -hmm. but like, I mean, one of the reasons I like watching foreign horror so much is I think one of the easiest ways to get to the core of how a specific like society or region or culture works is what are you afraid of? Because your fear is always going to be part of what drives you. So like understanding what your goals are, understanding how you talk about your goals is always going to make more sense when I can understand some of why you're afraid of not that. Why are you afraid of the thing that isn't what your goal is? <clears throat> right. Mm-hmm. I think like horror is such like a broad category that like there's stuff that's horror that's basically just very tense dramas. Uh, between people and stuff and then there's stuff that's horror that is basically sci-fi or Mm. that is like very abstract or it is just like uh this is a very controlling relationship or an extremely stressful time (laughs) or something Mm -hmm. it's so it's so broad i i think that one of the things that um i do like about horror um is that it 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 regularly engages with these like worst case scenarios Mm -hmm. (laughs) for lack of better words i mean it's a whole genre it's a lot of worst case scenarios and (laughs) a lot of um um, a lot of just kind of like meditation, whether it means to or not, on these kind of larger questions and stuff that kind of cut right to like a, the heart of like what you're dealing with a lot of the time. I mean, yeah. there's, there's an honesty about that. And I also think that horror, among I think most other genres, although I think like action movies can fall into this a little bit. And uh, like there's a there's a comfort with being disreputable, for lack of better mm-hmm. words. There's mm-hmm. like a thing where it's just like, yeah, we're, we're, it's a horror movie. Like, fuck you. Like, there's that kind of <laughs> thing where it's like, it doesn't like, and like, I like a lot of mo- like horror movies that are like, like a lot more like sophisticated and artsy and all that stuff. Like, that's all, it's all well and good. A lot of my favorite like movies are, but um, there's also a, like, there's like a movie like Bliss or something where you're like, mm-hmm. this, this Bliss. Trash, but it's so it's good. It's so good. It's <laughs> so intense. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so there's that kind of thing where like, um, and the there are there is kind of like horror cliches and stuff where there's like formulas and all that and that's kind of its own thing but like a lot of like i think the most like 
interesting and weird and maybe profound movies that you can find have at least some element that you say, oh, that that seems kind of like a horror movie kind of thing. Yeah, broadly. Defined. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I, I loved what you were saying about how it kind of helped you explore different um, parts of the world. And, you know, when you were moving around, it kind of helped you dig into the different areas that you were living. And um, there's this book that we've been reading called Monster Theory, and it talks about like what a monster is exactly and how monsters are are pretty much always <laughs> like the anti-culture. Like they see the the structure and they see where the anxieties are and they, they exist right outside of it. And they're like, that's not me at all. I'm going to do the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. And so by seeing where, by seeing movies made in different parts of the world and, you know, getting to know the monsters that are in these movies, you get to know about the culture. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that ties in perfectly with folk horror, which we're going to talk about because um, folk horror is so deeply tied to the culture where it was, where the story was created. Right. Um so I think that kind of perfectly flows into that. And the the last question we have on here for you, Scott, before we jump into um, kind of the history of folk horror and start talking about movies, is is there anything about folk horror in particular that draws your interest? Um, yeah, I think, um, like I was saying, like the location aspect, the fact that a lot of it tends to deal with um, either religious practice or some sort of cosmology to it. There's like, um, there's a, I was actually going to, uh, what am I quoting? You ever, you ever like have a, a line that comes to you and you're like, this is from somewhere. Constantly. But it's the idea that there's like, there's a culture to it. That's a true detective line. There you go. There's, there's a culture to it, you know, like um, so much of even like a lot of the movies that we're probably going to mention. So much of it is stumbling across. Oh, there's a culture here. Um, and um, folk horror, I feel like hits differently depending on where you're from. A little mm-hmm. bit like I spent a lot of time in the woods and a lot of time with some pretty extreme beliefs um, when I was a kid and a lot of just things suffused with the supernatural and occasionally being in some pretty remote places with that. And so vocal horror is like, oh, no, this just reminds me of a lot of like my experiences when I was a kid and mm-hmm. all that. And it it kind of like I said, like just synthesizes a lot of like my life experiences and where I've been and where I've lived and um, also just like interests and things that I found resonant at different points in my life. And that's even just beyond the, oh, it's just fucking cool and interesting. <laughs> but the, yeah, it's, you know, just dope. That's fine, too. But the um, but but I think I think that's kind of it. Like it's um, like so my wife and I write together. And um, when we were, uh, you know, writing on Night in the Woods, we were first just going to write about like have a have something that was set in an area where she grew, she grew up and where I've lived for like the past 15 years. And as we were writing it, we're like, we have to engage with some of the politics and the material realities of this place. Otherwise, it feels like we're just being a tourist in the place that we live. Like, it doesn't feel like we can do it justice. Like, we can't capture the fullness of it (laughs) without Mm -hmm. getting into those larger concerns. And I feel like folk horror, when it's done really well, has the ability to paint you a picture of here's the history of this place. Here's why it is this way. Uh, This might seem weird to you. And all this, but here's th- this has a a thing to it. There is um, I don't know if any of you f- are familiar with the like the Dark Souls series of video games at all. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. <laughs> what what the Dark Souls series does, I think, better than almost any other series is have you walk into a room that's like deep underground or something and make you go, 
oh God, what has been going on down here <laughs> kind of thing. And you're just kind of trying to be trying to like piece it back together where you're like, holy what there's like skeletons like worshiping something. How does that <laughs> how long has this been going? Has this been going on the whole time? I've been running around here? Like that kind of thing. And I yeah. think folk horror does a really good job of the like, oh, this has been going on this whole time and I had no idea about it. And I feel like that's also somewhat resonant i feel like both personally and just like creatively so yeah yeah absolutely and that um one of the final scenes in night in the woods where they go into the earth um that kind of reminds me of what you're talking about there you know they go into the earth and discover that this um society of people has been trying to i'm not gonna you know they basically they're trying to um what's the word i'm looking for like uh they're trying to make up for this, you know, depletion of natural resources, which is something that's so, you know, a common theme in folk horror by summoning this ancient god. So it's very like there's some very strong folk horror themes, like you said, in, in Night in the Woods right. as well. And I loved that about it. There's a um, like, especially around here, like it's was very much like an extraction economy. So it's like. Right. First, it was mining this, and then that wasn't profitable anymore. Then this, and then uh, it came for the timber, and then after that, it was coal, and then after that, it was something else. And so you just see the scars, the literal scars on the landscape here, <laughs> um, which Bethany and I go out and like explore all the time and take pictures of. And that's like our like hobby is just rural expo- exploration, going to like here's a powder mill that exploded in 1920, killing everyone there, and it's still out there in the woods, and you can still go there today if you know where it is, and. Uh, <laughs> And that sort of thing. And like, if you go back to like a lot of folk horror stuff, which again, we'll probably get into like, there's so much of the, the kind of the agrarian in it of the, like, we are dependent on crops and yields and our resources here being something that we can live off of. And um, I feel like that extraction economy um, is something like, there's like this term rust belt Gothic, which is like the term that we've like kicked around for a lot of our work is that like, you know, the original Gothic stuff like had very much to do with like the past kind of still being there. You have like the decaying manner, these like vestiges of authority and order that have decayed and are now coming at you from the past to kind of like, it's like the old eating the young, basically. It's like the past eating right. the present and future. And so then you have like Southern Gothic that's like that, except for it's like antebellum or postbellum South where it's like, oh, here's all of our genteel notions of America, but actually it's incredibly horrific and dysfunctional and ugly um and stuff and then what we were talking about and a few other people have talked about with the rust belt gothic is it's it's that but with like capitalism and extraction essentially it's these towns that um like instead of having like the big castle on the hill or like the old like plantation we have like the abandoned factory or the coal mine yeah or something like that yeah they exist because of that industry like right you know once a mining town loses the mine what does it become? <laughs> just right. Of, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like uh, just a reminder of the sins that we have brought. Right. Mm-hmm. And also there, it, it's kind of like a loss of an organizing principle. Like a lot of a Gothic horror is like, oh, here's the old manor and there's a village mm-hmm. nearby and everyone goes, oh, well, that was like the count who did blah, blah, blah or something or that was this. And like, sometimes there's still lights on in the windows because it's a, this thing that organized everything around it and was like a source of, even if it was horrible, some sort of order and structure is gone, but there are still these vestiges of it here that still affect us in some manner. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it took the prosperity with it. Um, and there's that interplay between like this kind of oppression 
of um, workers and just regular people by things more powerful than them. Um, and then those things leave and you have to deal with the fallout and the kind of ruin that and the chaos that comes from that, the kind of relief of that being gone, but also the fear that it's still out there, you know, which is like mm-hmm. that fear of something harmful being out there in a way that you can't completely prove, but you're pretty sure is still there. And like, that's like the cornerstone of like, I feel like two thirds of horror, right? It's like the invisible man or something where it's like the, mm-hmm. oh, I was in this incredibly abusive relationship. He's gone right (laughs) right yeah (laughs) and that feeling like i've known people who have gone through like really horrible abusive um kind of uh times like with with people and that person is gone for whatever reason either they died or they something but they are still like i feel like i'm gonna walk out my front door and they're still gonna be there like that feeling Mm -hmm. that the past is not ever actually done with you and Mm -hmm. um stuff yeah yeah and it just kind of hangs over you. Yeah, that's actually, that's a perfect transition into just kind of the history of folk horror, because um, one of the things that I noticed is that, I mean, the British get a lot of the credit for popularizing it, like in the 60s and 70s. And it's got some um, roots that go back to like, I think the first, one of the first folk horror movies was um, made in uh, Denmark and Sweden in like Accent. 1922. Yeah. yeah, it's a beautiful movie. Mm-hmm. Beautiful movie. It's, it's great and weird and great. It's so it's so great and so weird. And maybe I just found an incredible copy of it, but the um, the visuals are just stunning. Still, like so, it's I I love that movie. Um, but I love what you said about that idea of folk horror kind of playing around with um, the notion of the old eating the young. Cause I think a big theme in especially British folk horror is this idea of the land kind of um, no longer being able to bear fruit <laughs> and how scary that is, you know, and that's a, a thing that comes up in the wicker man um, of course. And it's a big source of this, you know, of uh, the anxiety that surrounds this small uh, population of people on an island in Scotland. Um, and that's a theme that kind of carries throughout the the unholy trinity is what they call it. It's uh, the Wicker Man, um, Blood on which, Satan's Claw. Witchfinder General. Witchfinder General. That's the only movie you, you had kind of like listed out like I think eight or ten folk horror movies. And you're like, okay, well, don't feel like pressure to go watch all these. And I'd seen all of them except for Witchfinder General, but only because it's not a really available. It's hard to find. I then last yeah, night I found yeah. that it's actually on YouTube. Yeah, someone just uploaded. I it, found that too. Yeah, which I haven't watched yet, but I'm like, sweet Vincent Price, cool. <laughs> yeah, you, you know Vincent Price, like, yeah, he's he's not nice in that movie. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I hear. Normally, it's like Vincent Price is like one of the most like likable people on earth. In every movie he's in, I'm like, yay, Vincent Price is he's great. Uh, bisexual icon Vincent Price, but the. Right. Um, <laughs> But I hear that, like, that, but then it's like, he has roles that are just straight up dramatic or straight up, you know, that aren't him kind of being like, oh, hello, ha, 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 you know, kind of thing. <laughs> so I, I kind of want to see Witchfinder General just to see, like, hard as fuck Vincent Price <laughs> being yes. just horrible, apparently. So. It's just him with a more stoic face. Like, mm-hmm. you know how he's usually got the eyebrow thing going on and he's yeah, a little bit backwards. less eyebrow. Yeah. <laughs> He's got like he's got like thirty percent less eyebrows, so he's more serious, you know. Oh, okay. This one, <laughs> he has his I angry eyebrows on. 
does. I, I still haven't watched Winchfinder General, and I don't really know if that I'm going to, but I he's almost like the horror version of Mr. Rogers in my head. And I'm like, mm. I don't want to pollute that <laughs> with Winchfinder <laughs> General because I know what uh-huh. happens. <laughs> I've I'm only like, ever no. seen him in fairly campy horror movies, but like he's done dramatic non-horror work. I've just never seen it. So like I kind of want to go yeah. and see something where he's just playing it just you know just a dude <laughs> a regular yeah. guy <laughs> you know, dealing with a marriage or like a kid or a job or something he's just like oh i'm just worried about the bills and i'm like i'm sure you are vincent <laughs> i love him i i had such a soft spot in my heart for him when i was little for some reason i think it's because he showed up on sesame street right he um he was he had, was in a segment with like the count and he was vincent twice and he said everything twice <laughs> yeah i remember um yeah. you remember that mm-hmm. uh, sesame street was my thing back yeah. in the day um so i <laughs> so good and i think that that's probably why i had like this little i've always had this little warm spot in my heart for vincent price <laughs> he was he was in the horror movies i was allowed to watch as a kid because they were kind yeah. of like technicolor like pretty like pg in the 60s kind of things so they were very chaste not a lot of cursing in it, not a ton of blood. It was more just like, here's a here's an Edgar Allan Poe or like a Nathaniel Hawthorne or something mm-hmm. like that. That is very like, and like that is such like straight up gothic horror in like that kind of hammer horror era, like Technicolor, crushed velvet ass kind of uh, shit. Um, and some of it is just so good and so beautiful when you go look at it now and you could just see like how the hot and glue is holding everything together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're like this whole thing seems very flammable, but uh, yes, <laughs> yeah. so, like I think he was just like one of those one of those things I was I was allowed to watch, so I just imp- imprinted on Vincent Price like at a very early age for that reason. That's true. Yeah, I remember the um, oh, was it the Haunting of Hill House? Is that what mm. that movie was called? Yeah, that he was in uh, um, no, House on Haunted Hill was the one. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. one of the Haunting Hill movies. Yeah. <laughs> One of the haunting on the hill with the house. <laughs> the the um, haunted hill <laughs> cinematic universe. And also there's a house right. in it. Haunted yeah. house. There's yeah, a house, haunt there's a house. hill, there's a haunt. Yeah. It's great. Haunt and there's Vincent haunt. Price. What yeah. more do you want? But I remember that movie, our um, our dad built it way up. At least for me, he was like, that's the scariest fucking yeah. movie I've ever seen. And yeah. I so w- when it came, when I... I don't remember how old I was, maybe like seven or eight. And he was like, do you want to watch it? I was like, yes. And it just scared the <laughs> poop out of me because yeah. I was so built up in my head. Um, and then my mom let me watch The Exorcist like two years later, but only pieces of it. Like uh-huh. she she would put my, she'd be like, all right, cover your eyes, which made it worse because, uh-huh. you know, your child imagination was just going. So did you ever come <laughs> up when you were a kid? Because this is something interesting. I had never known anyone until recently <clears throat> who was like, oh, uh, I watched, I did not want to watch that when I was a kid because I would be too scared. Because I was always like, no, I want to watch it. Like, even if oh. I'm scared, like, I yeah. totally want to check this out. It's oh, yeah. Like, what kind oh. of kid even is that? You're supposed to be curious about everything. <laughs> I like, to your own detriment. <laughs> it is, yeah, it's it's a little weird. And I don't want to, like, shame any children or anything. But, we like, don't shame children. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, I don't want to anyway. fear shame. The, the great schoolers or anything. But I was, I definitely was as a kid, like, oh, that seems real spooky. I want to watch it immediately. Um, right. Thing. Yes. So someone built up something that was like, 
Uh, Scott, I don't know if you're ready for this. This is like maybe a little too scary seeing Vincent Price with his mechanical skeleton at the end of this movie and all that. Like, uh, I'd be like, <laughs> I will, I will do whatever it takes to watch yeah. this. Movie now. <laughs> name your price. I yeah. will. Oh, name your so price. Oh, Jesus. I'm ready. <laughs> that pun was not intended, but um... not appreciated. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I was absolutely one of those kids. Like when we went trick or treating and stuff, like I remember going with friends and they were like, I don't want to go to that house. And I'm like, Boop, and they're like already halfway <laughs> up the drive. Right. Like, ready to go. <laughs> I think like, I, I was never really like, I was like spooked as a kid, but I never like really believed in ghosts or anything like that. So like, we'd go to like, like, when I was a teenager, like going into like the woods and finding old abandoned stuff like Blair, which was very like, oh, yeah, we do this all the time kind of thing. Um, right. But I never really believed that there would be, be a ghost or like an evil witch there. And I was just worried about like us falling through a floor or getting like cops showing up because we were trespassing. Like those, right. those much more mundane, mm-hmm. but to be fair, uh, more present issues of injury and cops um, or right. by a snake or something. Right, um, like actual dangers. <laughs> yeah, like that kind of actual dangers and stuff. So, like, I think that helped. That kind of like going up to like the spooky house was like, I definitely was never like, oh yeah, there's at least past a certain age, I was never like, there's there's ghosts here or anything. Right. And yeah. I'd be, no. I'd be around other like adults occasionally, and they're like, that place seems a little haunted, and I was like, yeah. Oh, you mean literally? Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, you're serious. And, oh, okay. Like, like, I don't want to be like the asshole skeptic around here, but I think we're probably right. <laughs> watch for cops oh my gosh and or snakes oh man we need to talk about ghost adventures one of these times stephanie that show is just brilliant um speaking oh, of with, people with who think everything's Baggins? haunted yes Zach baggins yep. yeah baggins? yeah oh, okay. perpetually oh dresses like the default character in an early 2000s tony hawk game <laughs> yes <laughs> or something just kind of like skinny but boot cut jeans, oh, like the faux hawk and yes. t shirt, so sort of a tribal tattoo thing on it. Yeah. And he is so serious and it's hilarious. It's just amazing. I was watching that with my um, boyfriend, like when we first started dating and he was like, what do you think are in those cargo pants? And I was like, more cargo pants like yeah. in the pocket <laughs> of the cargo pants. It's all the um, ghost charms. Exactly. Um, so going back to folk horror. Um, so <laughs> this is us though all the time, Scott. We just yes. go like no, off. It, it's fine. Every <laughs> podcast episode I'm ever on ends up being their longest episode. <laughs> we'll see. We're gonna have to test that today because our last episode was on the Final Destination series, and it ended up being like over two and a half hours long. Oh, I think. Yeah, so, we we we'll went see. a little hard on that one. Um, yeah, we might have had twenty pages of notes for that one, but um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but one thing I wanted to talk about is just like some of the themes that showed up in the um, in the folk horror movies from the 60s and 70s, because I think they tied really heavily to like the anxieties of the time. We've talked about natural resources being depleted, right? Overpopulation was a really big concern at the time. You had the oil crisis happening, um, all kinds of stuff like that. But also um, another theme that you notice is kind of this this theme of isolation shows up a lot and an isolation as it exists in nature and how that kind of brings out our worst selves, you know, is something that shows up quite a bit in um, folk horror movies. Uh, I have a quote here from um, the guardian article uh, called devils and debauchery, why we love to be scared by folk horror. 
And it says it's a recurring motif in folk horror that the countryside beckons to the characters as a place of hope, that events often culminate in graphic violence is a given. This is horror after all. What is more interesting is the way in which these stories show how we're seduced by the idea that the natural world is where we'll find some kind of restoration, enlightenment, and ultimately peace. And I thought that was pretty interesting. (laughs) Right. This is like what I was saying before about like it hits differently depending on like whether like the country is a place or like the rurals, the woods are the place that you you kind of like identify with as like a home or whether it's the, it's a difference between like which part of the cast in Chainsaw Massacre are you? Like, are you the the, the folks coming in being like, hey, hey, let's razzle these people. Are you the person who like (laughs) maybe isn't a cannibal, but like works at the gas station or is (laughs) Like who are these assholes coming in, kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> these yuppies, she, yeah, yeah. Like, and I feel like folk horror does um does a good job of of that too because um it it'll depict these this kind of isolation, but it'll also depict occasionally isolation and these kind of weird stuff in a way that like is almost like um attractive to people. It's like a lot, I saw a lot of people who saw uh, Midsummer and were like, I want to go live there. That sounds great, right? And right. all that just because. Um, that's just because there were, there was some element of that communal, uh, life or something that was just seemed really, really a lot more, um, uh, a lot more, like, it seemed like there was a, a better future there than wherever they were currently. Right. Like, there's that kind of like, um, seductive aspect of it. Like the wicker man where you're like, geez, like, I mean, if their heart, if their, if their harvest does come back, I mean, <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe. It's like this, it's, it's like if the draw to it is, you know, come back to nature Mm -hmm. and reconnect with yourself, with other people. And in the case of folk horror, what it does is it's like, no, actually that's not safe either. Actually, like there's a lot of danger around that as well. Well, and with folk horror, I mean, I think a lot of it, because folklore isn't tied to like, that goes back forever as long as we've been around the folk horror i think is pretty somewhat closely tied to dissatisfaction with well modern life but also like the political landscape like the 60s and 70s i mean especially the reagan or not reagan era um that too but the uh the nixon era i mean there was a lot of distrust in government after everything that happened after the vietnam war and after watergate um so i think that was a pretty good indicator of why folk horror suddenly became so popular at the time and then, um, I mean, I think there's also a big resurgence with it now, like with Midsummer and The Witch and things like that. Um, my cat is eating a necklace. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just got do. distracted by my cat. Speaking of nature, speaking yeah. of nature turning on you, right? Yeah, well, cats. <laughs> and, and then with folklore or with folk horror, it's also like, well, we can go back to our twist twisted society where we're not really unified everyone's taking advantage of each other and everything's like very relative as far as like morality goes but in things like midsummer or even the their very recent reboot of wrong turn it's like well there's right and there's wrong it's black and it's white and we all take care of each other and even though it's sort of barbaric it's you know what's going to happen and the power lies within the people and that's very attractive And also, you know, you get to return to nature, which is like this promise of like your true self and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like in like the 60s and stuff, there's also this backlash against like industrial society 
mm-hmm. um, capitalist society that's going in a lot of different ways. Like it made a lot of people very politically radical, um, mm-hmm. but it also kind of um, engendered a, a a desire to yeah go like back to nature in some sort of way that our, our truer selves are back there. And it wasn't like that was like invented. Like you see a lot of that in the 19th century with like the romantic poets and stuff of the like mm-hmm. I'm we're. Um, we're reacting to increasingly less agrarian, more urbanized and more industrial like science and all that. And that kind of stratified class society of capitalism, not to get all Marxy on this, but the, uh, um, no, please do. The, uh, please. I just always want to test the waters, but the, uh, <laughs> occasionally I've gone something and been like, blah, blah. And people have just been like blinking back at me. I'm like, Oh, sorry. But um, <laughs> no, um, we are, we're Marxists in this house, the, so you can go in ahead. this house. We respect Marx, but the um, but yeah, there's there's that um backlash to um kind of industrial capitalism um that you mm-hmm. get um and that kind of almost anti enlightenment um thing of the like we need to go back or like there or either we need to go back or there is some sort of hidden structure under this and stuff and mm-hmm. sometimes that is like an a more you know, a midsummer, midsummer, midsummer. I always want to say it weird because yeah. of how it's spelled, but midsummer um, kind of pauses, uh, it kind of like describes the society or the wicker man, which, you know, was obviously a huge influence on midsummer, but the, um, that kind of thing where it's like, if you didn't know about this, you might go, this is weird, but also this seems like a nice place to live. This seems great. Like I am not yeah. worried about rent here. I'm not worried about landlords. I'm not worried about credit scores. I'm not worried about any of the stuff. We found a place, you know, and then mm-hmm. finding out, oh, no, it's underpinned, though, by this, there's this one problem <laughs> or something right. or, or something like that. It's the same thing with the Wicker Man, where you're like, wow, this is like how they're talking about, like, you know, like various things. It seems like really progressive and forward thinking. And it's like, oh, no, it's not like progressive and forward thinking. It's just describing a pre-Christian idea of society, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, a built in notion of there's this like pagan underpinning two things and sometimes it like with like the witch um i think the witch does a really good job of um of tying that into like old protestantism essentially Mm -hmm. like the villain of the witch is basically calvinism (laughs) kind of uh yeah and all that and it does a really good job of making it seem like you know the the very deeply held faith of the the people in that movie the father in the movie is every bit as horrific if not worse than the real horrific witch stuff going on, you know, like that, that mm-hmm. baby's not coming back. That's also quite bad, but the, um, but so they do that. So like a lot of that stuff, um, I, I feel like with folk horror, it has, again, it has that, like what's been going on here thing. It's like the, Oh, there's a structure. There's a hidden system here. There's a language. There are these weird symbols carved on a tree. What does that mean? And there are people and they're, I'm, I'm wandering into, to a machine that is turning or something mm-hmm. i don't know what mm-hmm. it is i feel like on some level that's um relatable to people kind of navigating society right now um but also like one of the things i that's interesting about folk horror is that it it will it will sometimes branch past i went out to someplace isolated and found the people who have never left that hauler <laughs> and here's the mm-hmm. culture that they 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 have there that is attractive but also horrifying but then you have something like kill list which basically is like yeah, but what if like it was like the the Epstein shit <laughs> kind of right? It was, yes. like, here's a here's a here's a cabal of of rich like predators and stuff, and they've also kept this alive, which is where like a lot of um, you know conspiracy 
stuff kind of flows into folk horror. You know, you have like Bohemian mm-hmm. Grove mm-hmm. stuff and all that. And it's like, what are they doing? Well, they're going out into the woods and there's a big owl and there's in robes and you're like, what are they doing? There's some sort of secret practice here that I don't get what's going on. It just seems really sinister to me. Yeah. Kind of um, so yeah, there, there's that hidden system there. Like you're talking about the, oh, there's right and wrong here. It's like you were wandering mm-hmm. into some place that seems very wild. Mm-hmm. But also there are people there who have come up with some sort of system and some sort of belief thing around it. So they know what that monster is and they know why they're sacrificing someone to it. You don't, but trust me, they've been here for a while. They know what yeah. they're doing mm-hmm. and stuff. Doesn't mean that you have to go along with it, but they have the, the, that, that weird idol in the woods. Like they built that for a reason that took effort. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and that sort of thing. So you're kind of wandering into a rule set that like, cause a lot of folklore is really rules based. Like a lot of folklore mm-hmm. is, you know, like don't cross this line. Don't build a house here. Don't drill well here. Don't, don't, oh, you dug up this ancient like Saxon crown, put that back, you know, kind of yes. Do not blow through that whistle that you found at the ancient Norman, whatever, like don't do it. Cause you're going to summon like the past and all that. So yeah, that's a yeah. great way to put it. It's like, it's sometimes kind of like an ode to like conservative thinking of the past, right? Like um, the ritual is specifically is kind of what I'm thinking mm. of that movie. Um, it's, it's a, it's a genre. It's like a sub genre that deals a lot with the past. And I think in that movie in particular, right, the lead is kind of grappling with something that didn't happen that long ago, mm-hmm. but because he's headed into, he's headed, headed into this place that he perceives as really wild. It's kind of stripping him of, you know, whatever protection that he had up. And it's kind of forcing him to deal with this thing that happened not that long ago. And the thing that's forcing him to deal with it is even more ancient than, mm-hmm than the um the memory of his friend being killed right. one of the things i like about the ritual is that it is very at least like the one english-speaking person he finds in uh that village at yeah. the end is like oh that you get the idea that like these people were kind of like picked out by this by this thing at some point you know like oh you have this yeah. pain or this guilt or something that you bear uh, and i like the fact that it's not really all that explored in the movie they just kind of mention it and you're like all right Okay, I'll, I'll roll with that. Right, right. Also, also a pretty dope monster, but the um, so I just cool. yeah, is the so super cool. super cool uh, monster. But one of the things I love about the end of the ritual is because I really like it when a horror movie because like I I found like the the lead in that movie just really like just kind of like annoying. I'm like you're just kind of a dick, dude. Like yeah, uh, yeah. you're yeah. annoyed with him, and you also feel kind of bad, but you're like no, you're you're still kind of irritating. <laughs> yeah, like of all these characters, you kind of have this coming the most, but right. the um. What I like about that movie, kind of a sidebar, is I really like when a horror movie will just go for broke in the last 10 minutes. And the ritual does yeah. that, where it's like you're in a chapel full of skeletons that are like screaming at you. So <laughs> there's no explanation for that. Like the rest of it, you're like, oh, there's this big monster. It's some sort of supernatural thing. That, okay, fine. Monster. I get it. Who yeah. the hell are these people? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and I, that's just one of the things I like about the evil, the evil Dead remake was like, Say what you will about that movie. It goes for it in that last 15 minutes. I love that movie. I love the new Evil Dead so much. It got such mixed reviews and it's got like 60% on Rotten Tomatoes or right. something. But I freaking love that movie. When it started, when when 
uh, Mia takes the chainsaw, straps it onto her bloodied, severed arm, and then puts <laughs> it through the monster's head. And it's already raining blood. It's and then raining blood, blood. is spurting yeah. at her. I just started laughing so hard. I'm like, this uh, is insane. I that, love it. If that movie, if that movie wasn't a remake of a really influential like cult classic, I think it would have reviewed a lot better because everyone would have been like, yeah. this thing goes hard as fuck. Right? Yeah. But instead, what, at least when I first watched it, I was like, oh, this isn't as inventive or um, right. interesting as the original one. This is just a very extraordinarily grim movie that gets real wild at the end. Um, and mm-hmm. uh stuff and but once i kind of got past that i ended up really respecting it and liking it for just like it's not a movie that blinks like that is a movie that's no. like okay what if you got chainsaw an arm off and then you're chainsawing a evil version of a <laughs> demonic version of you and it's raining blood and you're yelling the whole time and you're like hell yeah this is this is great <laughs> this is this is so a final act. yeah <laughs> Fede Alvarez, man, he did such a great job with that movie. I loved it. Yeah, um, but I, I, no, same, yeah. same thing though. I was at first when we saw. I think Steph. I think you and I actually saw that in the theater together. Am I, Maybe am I right? Yeah. Um, but I remember that part laughing out loud because of how I laugh when something's like so good that I just like I don't know how to act. Right. Like that part, you know, the big climax scene. But at the same time, yeah. Afterwards, I was like. I don't know, you know, I had the same vibe where I didn't feel like it was as inventive. But then later on, after you kind of remove yourself from mm-hmm. the original series, you're like, no, that's actually a really good movie. Yeah, it's, it's pretty decent. Like a horror movie that will like build up and build up and build up. And then at that last minute, it's just like, ah, or something. Like we were watching St. Maud last week. And St. Maud has, has a moment. I don't know if any of here has seen St. Maud yet. Not I yet. haven't seen that yet. Oh, okay. I haven't seen it yet. Well, no spoiler, but there, there's, a, there's a point near the end where you're like, are they going to do this? Are they going <laughs> to do this? And you're like, I oh, know they're not going to do this. And then they do it. And you're like, oh my God, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> like there's a movie where you're like, okay, cool. The movie's just going to go for it at this point. Like, um, mm-hmm. and the ritual, I think, did that. Otherwise, I, I think if it didn't, it would have been kind of just kind of a glum little movie about some unlikable yuppie just dicking around the woods as his friends get picked (laughs) off you know um kind of but the fact that it just runs with it at the end i think like works really really right yeah absolutely yeah and so i think oh go ahead jay sorry just as soon as i saw the creature like full-on saw it i was like oh they're they're not gonna half-ass this Yeah. yeah if they put in the work to actually get this right we're doing yeah. it. We're making this happen. Yeah, you don't, you don't design that monster and animate it and like do everything that well unless you're going to use it, you know, and like really yeah. go for it, you know. Oh my, yeah, this is like we're yeah. we're making a movie here. My favorite yeah. part of the monster is the hands, <laughs> the little little yeah. hands. The that hands are bad. It reminds me of like grabby good hands. Yeah, that's yeah. easily <laughs> the part that's like super creepy because you're like, oh, giant elk with kind of a human face that's just kind of like a hood with like eyes, but then it's just a little like little hand. Kind of little like it, I'm it gonna go and like me. open a door or I can like, you know, eat popcorn. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like right? what you do with two hands. Like it's this thing they're like playing Nintendo or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of is it the deer in like adventure time? The freak deer. The freak deer and it pulls off its little hooks oh, yeah, and it has little hands. Yeah. <laughs> kind of got that like it's I just anything it so with those, like little hands little hands or something like 
it made it like infinitely scarier. Like mm-hmm. it's human characteristics, I think made it um, like when it lights up, you know, when it's like standing kind of in the light for the first time towards the mm-hmm. end of the film and you can kind of see like, you're like, is that a, is that like, a, like torso? a torso? Yeah. And yeah. is it like, yeah. And you're trying to like figure out what it is. That just makes it infinitely more terrifying. I right. Thought. Like when it kind of rears up in like the last little bit when he's getting away from it and you kind of see the silhouette and you're like, I'm having a hard time pick, figuring out what parts I'm looking at right now. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you see that if he stands in a, a certain way, it matches that idol in that cabin. That right. He saw. And it's like, oh, that's a, a, a good way of. Because, like, a lot of folk horror, I think, like, occasionally half asses it by being like, isn't this a spooky rune or a spooky <laughs> statue? But that movie actually did, did, did the work of being like, oh, why does that one spooky statue at the beginning look like that? And it's like, oh, it's actually a silhouette almost of mm-hmm. right. the monster when he's, like, actually standing up and stuff. It was just kind of a neat little. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like, it's actually him. And you're seeing the that kind of, like, continuity of the images throughout right. that movie. Yeah. Um, I love the final moment in that one where he's like screaming at the woods because it is kind of just like right in line with that theme of, you know, going into nature mm-hmm. and having to deal with or reconcile with something that happened in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just right outside of it and he's just screaming at it. I thought that was a really good moment. It was just like this. Okay. Like, fine. Like, get out of here. Like, yeah. Like the ah, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's like such a thing through like all kinds of horror, right? Again, it's like what we're right. talking about. The past, the past is still there. The past is still coming to mm-hmm. get you. The past is still there. It's like every haunted house movie is like that. It's either the past or it's your current bad relationship or something like right. that. You know, like we renovated a house and we, we just like, I'm 39. We just got to the point where we could buy a home at like, like last year. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is a house from 1900 and we renovated it. And with, with some other people, we didn't actually go and do all of it, but, um, <laughs> and stuff. meanwhile, just some like really weird, bad personal stuff had been happening um, in and around like our lives and I was like, am I in a metaphor? Am I in a bad metaphor right now? As I'm like, <laughs> I'm covering bad things behind the walls. I'm like, oh God, I'm in one of these movies now, you know? <laughs> like where I'm, I'm, I'm learning horrible things about other things that have been going on while I'm like finding like that half this thing is rotten or something. It's like, yeah. I'm gonna, suddenly I mean, you're in Dark Souls and you're yeah. like, how long has this been going on? <laughs> yeah, like I'm going to get like the hands reaching out of the wall at me or something. <laughs> yeah. This situation is still complicated, Scott. So. Stripping off like 17 layers of paint. Like, oh no, oh. what does that mean? Yeah. like, What is it painted over? Yeah. There's a cool thing about having an old house because you find little things that have been left behind by people. Mm-hmm. And um, like little like things like uh, some kid wrote his name on something. Or mm-hmm. you find like an old prom picture that fell behind a radiator like 15 to 30 years ago yeah. and all that. And uh, one of the things we found is when, because the guys we had renovate the uh, our, the house really fucked up our bathroom plumbing upstairs and it was mm-hmm. leaking through the ceiling in the kitchen. And so we had to have someone right. come in and rip out the whole ceiling. In doing that though, they found tools from like 1930, maybe 1920. Oh wow. And so I, we have this old like T-square and like an old screwdriver that if this was a horror movie would be the thing that someone gets stabbed with. Cause it's like, yeah, this long, this rusty blade with like a like a yeah. broken wooden handle, and I'm like, check out this screwdriver. <laughs> it's just getting real cliche here, isn't it? Yeah, 
You're like, I'm, I've been watching way too many horror movies. I know. <laughs> Thankfully, no hauntings yet, but. <laughs> That's good. They're coming. Don't worry. But anyway, yeah, it's it's that past thing. And the same thing with like the ritual, like, um, yeah. had that element where it's like, you just cannot get away from that shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Without no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, those, those themes were pretty big, like in the 70s, like 60s and 70s, like we talked about, but we're seeing kind of a revival, I think, of folk horror now, like moving more into the present, we're seeing kind of, like, there's a folk horror, there's multiple folk folk horror movies coming out, like every year now, you know, and it's been that way since about 2010 or so, like Kill List, I think came out in 2011, right? And that was kind of um, over the last, what's, yeah, decade or so. I don't know. We've just seen kind of a big revival of them. And so I think what, yeah, like what I'd like to talk about is just a little bit like, why do we think that is? I, I have my own thoughts around, you know, how our situation might be a little bit similar to the situation the world was in, in the sixties and seventies with, you know, the depletion of natural resources and kind of our separation from nature as we exist now being something that's talked about quite a bit and maybe that's why things are coming back but i'd love to know your thoughts um yeah so i think there's a there's a few reasons one um i do think that there is there's kind of an idealized notion of like country living it's like the cottage core thing of yeah you know that it's that it's that sort of thing so on some level it's just horror cottage core uh there, there is right. that kind of aesthetic desire to like oh why don't we all just go live on a farm or something and then everything (laughs) it it won't that rarely ever works out but the um (laughs) but uh why don't we just go have a farm is usually not the start of a great story um and all that one does not just go and have a farm um but uh, (laughs) that takes a lot of work and a lot of uh you know being there and everything but the um so I think there's that there's a little just bit of idealization. Like I think Midsummer is a good example of that where it is, it does seem like a more honest society. And if, and if mm-hmm. the belief systems are ridiculous to you, they're ridiculous in a way you can just kind of go with or whatever. Right. It's like not to tread on any ground here, but it's like people I know who are really into like astrology or something. And they're like, yes, it's yeah. dumb. I don't necessarily believe it, but it is, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a narrative that does not feel threatening to me. And it feels like mm-hmm, something right. that is connected and that has like a rule set that I can bend and break to where I, I want it, but I, it's still something there. And so like, yeah. there's a loss, there's a loss of um, narratives for lack of better words. It's like the postmodern thing where it's like, what broke is the notion of like a universal narrative of like modernity and progress and all that. Mm, and right. like the sixties, like post both wo- world wars had that, but after world war two, particularly in the U S and um, I think probably the UK, although someone can yell at me about this, is that there was this there 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 emerged this notion of progress, like we're moving forward, we're going to try to right. do do all that, and then that breaks every now and again um, in the mm-hmm. '60s, in the '70s, when white supremacy, um, you know, like mm-hmm. when white supremacy is, is confronted, when patriarchy is, is con- confronted, and capitalism and all that, it creates this kind of um desire both desire for and fear of these things that existed before then that are still there and mm-hmm. in, so, in some ways that can be attractive and in some ways that can be really horrific and it can be the happy little island somewhere or it can be in like the ruling class of a society it's that thing of like oh, there's a secret thing that's been going on here for a while 
And um, it can go all the way from explaining just what the hell's happening out there in the woods, or it can be what's happening with the people who are kind of like running things and whatever. I think there is a, um, in that sense, again, not to get all Marxy, but the, um, I think in part of it, it's a, it's an under, it's, it, these are also decades when, um, when faith in capitalism, you see breaking mm-hmm. really hard, yep. um, but without the Reaganite morning in America thing, or even like the Obama era, like, you know, change has come to America. We have hope and all that. Like, um, right. Within the, the aughts you get, I think not the aughts, well, the aughts, but mostly in the, the 20 teens and still to today, it's not stopping anytime soon <laughs> is you have that recognition of what like Mark Fisher called capitalist realism. where like, it's that idea. It's like what Margaret Thatcher said, where it's like, there's no alternative, like, or like what Francis Fukuyama, when he was like, it's the end of history. Like, it, here it is. We are liberal capitalism now as a society. And it's just going to be that way forever. There are no better ideas. Like the Soviet Union broke down. Like, there's nothing else. That mm-hmm. one, we're going to iterate on that and tune it up forever. And with better tech and with little tweaks here and there, that, but this is as, as good as we're going to do. And the horror and the claustrophobia of that, I feel like really, really starts hitting a wider audience, at least in, I mean, it was hitting everyone, like a lot of people individually, obviously, and materially, but like the the cultural idea of just talking about that very openly, I think has been way more common in the past however many years. And as such, I think folk horror can speak to that because it does talk about like, okay, well, what exists outside of kind of modern liberal and either very Christian-y or secular modernity. Um, mm-hmm. Like what exists outside of that and what is attractive and what is horrifying about that? You know, what is, you know, you're here, you're doing gig economy shit. You have all these other, uh, you know, you're aware of all this horrible stuff. Well, over there, is it any better? Is it any worse and stuff? So I think there's an idealization aspect of it, but there's also depending on who's making it, there's also just also kind of a fear of, there's also that Chainsaw Massacre-esque fear of like, don't go into the woods because those people are crazy and stuff. So yeah. it's like that that tension between wanting to get away from society, but also realizing that you can't escape the the horror will still be there. It may be in a different form. Although if it's in a horror movie, it will likely somehow jive with the trauma you've recently been through in, in the, in mm-hmm. back in the modern world, like mm-hmm. in midsummer, um, she has very modern traumas, you know, like that we would identify with. Um, I mean, it's not like everything that happens was invented recently, but it is, it takes place in a very modern milieu. Um, mm-hmm. So when she goes and she brings that trauma with her, she's bringing this trauma that feels like it can be solved by departing to and being more in touch with nature. And there's that great moment in that movie where she's crying and the women are crying and yelling with her. And there are so many women I know who were like, I felt that like really strongly, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. that's a thing I feel like I can't get really. We're all atomized hustlers and consumers and uh, strivers and stuff. We're all in competition with each other. And so the idea of like the wicker man or midsummer or even some of these other ones, like it, um, there is this notion of like back in the agrarian society, we can have this society where it is communal. It's non-competitive and yeah, we may have to yeah. occasionally sacrifice an outside or whatever, but uh, you know, at the, end of the day <laughs> yeah, do what you gotta do. It might be a little bit evil, but it's yeah. all for, 
I'll forget. Yeah. But also at the end of the day, like we like our whole thing runs on the sacrificing of people anyway. It's just like we're for yeah. one of the things I like about full core is that like when you talk occasionally someone in one of these movies, if, if, it, if it's one of the full cores, it's about here's a society of people who seem idyllic or whatever, but they have to do something real bad every year, every harvest in order to keep this going um, is they often like someone would be like, that's horrible. And like, this is just how it works, man. Like, this is just like yeah. the rules here. Like, I don't make the rules. Yeah. This is just how it is. Um, the ritual had a little bit of that too, where it's just like, you just, you will bow down to this thing and you will live. That's how we all do it. And stuff yeah. so, like um, within uh, contemporary society, we have a lot of things where we write off. Um, it's just like the cost of doing business. It's like, the pandemic it's like oh sure half a million people will die but oh, what are you gonna do it's just the cost of doing business basically it's like we have to keep right? open you know we have to do all these things for the economy and so like all of these things are just kind of factored into the equation and when we're thrown into a situation where there's still a horror or a death or a, a tragedy that's factored into the equation but it's an equation we are not familiar with at all it really stands out as okay is pushing our old people off a cliff but with their consent, yeah. Okay, and then you got to bash their head yeah. in with a hammer. Is that is that better or worse than what we're actually doing? You know, uh, right? So yeah, no, exactly. And I think, uh, like, just to your point, the a huge theme in a lot of folk horror, which is one reason I think it's so shocking to most of people, like in the Western world, is this rejection of like individualism mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. um this idea that no, you have to work for the good of the group and you have to reject whatever, whatever feelings you may have about it. Like that doesn't matter because what's important is the survival and the health of the group. Right. Right. Um, And of course there's a fair, there's all things, all kinds of things you could say about ableism as it Mm -hmm. pertains to that. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, Cause there's, there's a lot of like fear of disease and being disabled and like, Mm -hmm. you can't pull your weight and, then you're thrown off a cliff or whatever, you know, it's right. like, <laughs> it, it, it does throw in, it's, it's rare that you see one of these societies that really cares for people who are not productive in the, in, in how, in what, however production is um, conceived of in the movie. Cause like occasionally you'll see like a horror movie where it's like, Oh yeah, we really venerate our elders because of X, Y, Z. But a lot of times it will be like, all right, well, I'm just a drag on the community now. See you later. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or it's someone, an honor for me to jump off this. Cliff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or you see someone who is because of some physical or mental thing is not productive in the same way that um, I'm for audio listeners. I'm doing big finger quotes here. Um <laughs> <laughs> Which is interesting because of our actual society, right? It's like so much of who we are and our worth is in production and stuff. It's like our, mm-hmm. our conceptions of ability and disability are so tied to, can you work a job and be productive? Can you right. navigate these physical and otherwise spaces? And if you can't, then we don't really know what to do with you. Uh, and all of our solutions tend to not be great because they are built around these notions of needing everyone or not needing or wanting everyone to be productive. And one of the things I liked about Midsummer was that it, it really hit that in like the thing, the, um, the way of the like, okay, but they still are a very production focused people, you know? Yeah. And, um, mm-hmm. 
that whole agrarian thing of like, we are interested in fertility. We are interested in yields. We are interested in like, that's a bad year. Why did this happen? There's a cosmic reason that we had some part in, we fucked up somehow and we have to go and do this in order to kind of maintain a life here. And sometimes that is going to involve throwing some unproductive people off a, off a cliff or whatever. (laughs) Um, but it's interesting because it does it does just throw us into um like you were saying before like a much simpler more black and white world where there isn't mm-hmm. a lot of obfuscation it's like the oh no we had to bash his head in why oh there's a drag on the community and you f- they frame it in all kinds of ways but it's like if an alien popped into our culture and you're like oh why are there people on the street and you're like oh they just couldn't hold down jobs or they didn't have familial wealth and it's like yeah that's insane oh my god why would that ever happen and you're like it's just how it is here, yeah. right? And I personally can't do anything about it. So there's that exactly. kind of thing of confronting us with a culture that we learn the rules of and have to really grapple with, does this make sense <laughs> at all? Like, yeah. It's better or worse than what we have going on. So that kind of goes yes, back to so saying about it. there's a culture. So sorry. No, no, you're fine. Oh, you're I, fine. I was just going to say, it's like, it's very nakedly transactional in a lot of cases. Just, mm-hmm. just, I mean, you talked about like kind of the complicated equation where we are also like, you know, in modern society, most often sacrificing a ton of people to make the machine keep working mm-hmm. in something like, like say the wicker man, it's very simple. There is a specified kind of person. We have to offer this in order to get the thing we need. That's like, no, we're not up. Mm-hmm. There's a whole bit of pageantry to get to that. But at the core of it, we're very clear. We give this person, we get yeah. a good harvest back. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, it's not some complicated machine that you need to get an economy or economics degree to understand. It's right. just give, give the God this person and get the thing. Give person, get apples. Which, I yeah. mean, the simplicity can be part of what's like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get, get apples. I mean, you, you talked yeah. a lot about like <laughs> the aspects of these societies that are kind of attractive. And I think that really plays into a lot of, um, I mean, for me, one of the central things about, for me, probably for smarter people who've also watched it but of the of the wicker man was the insecurity of sergeant howie as i you know most upfront as a as a christian but also as a british man and probably even as a police officer who's very dedicated to a specific notion of like order mm-hmm. but insecurity of not having perfectly and completely supplanted everything that came before his conception of modern england like aghast as he is looking at Christopher Lee and saying, Oh, you're a pagan. Yeah. With, with a vitriol. I mm-hmm. like, I was shocked by that just because he said it like a swear word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, right. Oh yeah. There are people who are <laughs> upset by that, but it, it's very mm-hmm. much like mm-hmm. maybe not as a core of the movie, but definitely as like this major component, like fear of not having completely done away with everything that didn't factor neatly into kind of the dominant cultural paradigm. And I, I mean, I think that's a, right. A, I feel like, no, no, go ahead. Uh, I was to say like, I love Howie for that reason. Cause he's like, greetings. <laughs> I am colonial white patriarchal British cop. Yeah. Uh, my exactly. fortress is our God or something <laughs> like he's yeah. um, like at the end when he's singing a hymn while it like goes into screens, it's horrifying, but it's also kind of funny because it's just like, yeah, take that, uh, the UK, take the, like, yeah. specifically England, take that yeah. like England, uh, you colonizing bastards, um, that kind of um, thing of the like, 
there's some sort of revenge. One of the things I like about um, about the Wicker Man is it. Um, those people aren't necessarily on to something. They they really could just be like. I mean, they really does seem like. Oh no! Like this isn't going to do anything. Like this is actually just murder. They are just murdering. Like there's not even like a utility to this beyond like a communal feeling. Like there's no there's nothing supernatural going on here. And the same thing with Midsummer. It's like any supernatural stuff is just like yeah, you're on some weird rural Sweden drugs, you know? Or something. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Have been, some good mushrooms. Yeah, you, you have been given like you know psychedelics or something, or in tranquilizers at different times and. So nothing, all that weird's happening here. Like Hagazusa gets into this a little bit too of the like, how much of this is just you ate the wrong mushroom and right, all, all that. of it, <laughs> um, and uh, and uh, and stuff. But like at least when it comes to, like its societal critique, I feel like um, the the Wicker Man I think is really good because one of the one of the weird things um, with um, essentially notions, modern notions of paganism among white people in particular is trying to construct a past in which there is a subsection of white people who were not colonizers and who were not racist and who were never Christians and who were never patriarchal and who were queer friendly and into, we had our polyamorous herb farm somewhere. And that's, we have this innocent past, even if it's terrible, there's this innocent past that's there that we can reject and go back to and stuff. And so you see like a lot of like how like, you know, even like Wicca developed and stuff. It's a lot of that thing of like the, oh, but there's a pre-Christian thing here that that's what I actually belong to. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. you know, you're someone mm. from, you're, you're a white guy in 1960s England. You, you bear the same shit as a lot of other people do. Like, sorry, you can't transcend that necessarily. Um, and so there's this kind of mythologizing. One of the things I liked about the Wicker Man is that it was like, oh, look at this kind of subset these these people and they're kind of like it's just uh they're just they're you know rejecting these colonizers and stuff and i I like the fact that it um with howie he's pulling back to this sort of like what is okay what is my bedrock it's a two thousand year old religion uh and and that everything is based on and i'm gonna in my last minutes be Mm -hmm. singing this and it just doesn't work it just completely falls on on deaf ears as much as the wicker uh, I almost call them the wicker people. The wicker people uh, <laughs> do too. Like no one's listening in that scene at all. Like there's no mm-hmm. higher power there. No one is listening. Like the world is not listening. This is just um, two, um, two, two ideologies. And so like, I feel like what I like about the wicker man is it also doesn't let the people off the hook. Like you don't realize at the end, like actually, no, they were correct. It's like, Oh no shit. They're also just, clutching on to a and you can say it's better yeah. or worse but it is still we're trying to justify our system of production our and economy and our social mm-hmm. order and sometimes you just got to burn a cop and stuff which yeah listen, <laughs> you know fine um like, i just don't know if it's going to bring you a better harvest yeah. <laughs> so, yeah and that's what i love that's what i love about folk horror it's like um and i think how he's the perfect he's the perfect person he's the perfect character to describe like what people do he's like white knuckling it onto this idea that he's held on to forever like you said a 2000 year old religion but what i love about folk horror is it's like you know the you know the regular culture that you're used to well what about this and then it's like no that's also bad like at the end you know so it, it always comes back to like oh maybe this other means of production is actually a good way. And then you're like, no, actually that's still using people and and perpetuating violence. (laughs) 
It's often the it's evil for the same exact reasons. It's just a mm-hmm. different setting. Like that's mm-hmm. not for all folk horror, but I find that that's often. And I'm bringing up Wrong Turn again because I just watched it and I'm in love with it. The new one um, where it's like, uh, we live in an ideal society. Everyone has a job and everyone contributes. And it's like, well, this is kind of what is bad about the one I left behind (laughs) is that Mm -hmm. like everyone has to contribute. Everyone is a cog in the machine. And even though it is for a smaller community. And again, there are these black and white rules. It's it's like, is this that different? I don't know. Like, I I think I left one evil for the same evil presenting itself in a different way. Well, it's frequently like a difference of concentration. Yeah. There's a lot of like in, you know, real world society, the horror is spread throughout everything. Everything gets a piece of the violence and degradation that, you know, is the bedrock of the system in, in a lot of like fictional idyllic societies, you get it, it. It has, it has its own area. It's very compartmentalized. Like, I don't know uh, if anyone else ever read uh, Ursula Le Guin's The Ones Who Walk Away from Omelas. It's, you know, yeah, like she's very, yeah, like she's very clear. This is a, she even opens uh, almost literally, hey, like this is a stereotypical idyllic society. Imagine an idyllic society. That's what it is. (laughs) But then it's like a festival day and they go over how great everything is. And then there is one basement in the dark with nothing in it with one kid who has to suffer for their whole life. Everything else is fine. This one kid has to suffer. And that's it. That's that's the one thing about the entire town. And everything else is great. But there are people who see that and they're like, man, fuck this. <laughs> Which is, yeah, it's, right. it's, like, it's a thing in, that in, you can through. Like, no, no, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Um, well, I was going to say that like one of the interesting things about something like Midsummer or The Wicker Man is all of their production is really um, like you could walk from one end to the other of that world, right? And it's like we grow mm-hmm. all of our food, we do all of this. Like it is very organic, ethically sourced culture or whatever. Um, in our real life, like so much of what we um, what we have is like, you know, this was made elsewhere. I don't know who made this or something mm-hmm. or like Sharpie. I do not know how a Sharpie is made or what's in it. And so, and a lot of our, our resource extraction and a lot of that um, actual dirty work of capitalism and how our whole means of production is, is a whole machine of production happens is because it's outsourced to like, you know, the global South and all that. We don't see that mine. We don't see kids mining lithium. We don't see, um, all these other things we don't see like, you know, all this, um, this kind of enclosure and stuff that, that we end up doing a lot of colonialism and imperialism for and, uh, get into like this, like how like chattel slavery gets going and all these other things. Yeah. Because, um, that gets outsourced elsewhere. And, um, so one of the things that's interesting about like midsummer is that like, they don't, there's none of that is like outsourced necessarily. Like, like not everything, they they don't make everything obviously in there, but there's a lot more, there's this notion of like ethical society in some sort of fashion. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the things I think that's interesting about both of those movies in particular is uh, that, um, they they at least do do a thing by by showing that you know certain people have to be sacrificed in order to bring prosperity and all that they are at least yeah doing like the one to walk away from Omala saying they are at least foregrounding someone has to suffer and die for this uh whether it's sensical mm-hmm. or not 
they believe that someone has to has to die and something has to happen in order for this life to go on. Um, mm-hmm. They're not outsourcing that as much. Um, so it's not as invisible. So it has to be ritualized in some sort of fashion. And so like, if you can't make it invisible, but you feel like it's absolutely necessary to your way of life, you ritualize it and make it okay for that reason. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Stuff. And I think that folk horror because of its interest in agrarian or pre-Christian societies, mostly just generally made up uh, the uh, (laughs) um, it um, sometimes will end up, you know, whether it means to or not grappling with that whole thing of like, where is extraction and production happening? And if it is just in our tiny little Valley, okay. But instinctively our brains go, but someone is going to have to be sacrificed for this because, and all that. So they're not, they're never completely, utopian communal societies there's always someone who has to take the fall under the under the floorboards or whatever right and that's it it applies directly to the way we live right and i think um one really powerful thing about folk horror is it's like it has you questioning like is that actually violent or do i just not have to see that every day like you know they show them killing animals or whatever and they show it in a really dramatic way Mm -hmm. um and it's like, oh, so shocking to us. But then you're like, well, how do I think I get steak? You know, like <laughs> you right. think about stuff like that and you're, um, the movies purposely pull that out and make it seem like, oh, these people are, are really so aggressive barbaric. and violent. Yeah, yeah it's right. so barbaric. But that's actually how we live, to your point. It's just that mm-hmm. we are removed from it so much that to us, it doesn't, it, like we don't even think about it being a um, part of the machine. Right. There, there's also, there's a, this actually, we're talking about the barbaric aspect of it. One of the things that's interesting about folk horror, because it isn't just a white Western thing, it exists in like other cultures, right. but folk horror is usually people only talking about cultures that they feel like they have access to. So like Cannibal Holocaust, we wouldn't call that folk horror. We'd call that weird colonial racist, uh, whatever and stuff that's like still pretty rad or whatever, but it's still, but it is what it is. Like we wouldn't call that folk horror. You know, right. we would call that kind of like a white colonial nightmare, essentially. And uh, I'm going to wander into some place where there are um, that were that are a place that we would normally colonize in like in ancient right. times or recent times. What the hell am I talking about? And uh, the um, and stuff. And so you have these idea of these people as you know these like either very enlightened or very like barbaric type of people, whereas folk horror does a lot of that with just like people one County over that look like you. And mm-hmm, so right. that's an interesting aspect of it is that it is um, it's, it's dealing with things that, that if we apply them to like other people groups, we'd probably be like, that just seems real racist or something. Or yes. That kind of thing. Uh, but it's, um, but by, by not doing that, by locating that within your own communities or community, it's like, if, yeah, you're, Sweden is not America, but none of us feel like we're oppressing the Swedes or anything. Uh, you know, we don't have a history of right. the Swedes. Uh, so that, that's that's safe. We can look at that and go, oh, well, it's mm. a white what, it's a white European thing. We can go and kind of make our critiques there and talk about ourselves, even though we're talking about someone else, um, which is how folk horror is, I think, which is why folk horror tends, I think, to take place within the society of whoever's making it you don't, mm. like, you don't call it folk horror it, it really it, that geography even if it's cultural really does matter to the definition so mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and it deals with 
to your point, that idea of like fear of the other quite a bit, whether it's like the, you know, secular, like the insular society sphere of the other, like in midsummer, they'd talk about, you know, they're very selective about who comes and stays with them. Um, in wrong turn, the latest one um, that just came out, they have a fear of the other and a fear of disease and, you know, all this other thing. And so to your point, it can be done if you're, if you're doing it in such a way where like the culture that you're diving into is one that has, you know, you have a history of oppressing, Mm -hmm. then, then that's an incredibly racist movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) It's the, it's the, who is it aimed at type of thing. Right. Um, Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that like in times past that would be aimed and it still is, but um, it would be really aimed at, the people out in far away, wherever. And, and they're so backwards and other that that's, it's, it, that's okay. That's why we can impress them into labor. We can take all their, you know, all their resources right. and everything because we're a civilizing force, which is why I like uh, Sergeant Howie is because he is that civilizing force. And he has that like completely what it seems to be unquestioned assumptions about the way the world works. And they just yeah. fall apart with people that look like him, like they're not very mm-hmm. far away or anything. And I think that like folk horror um, kind of is like a way of like dealing with like these, these aspects in a way that um, doesn't um, uh, because like, I, I feel like also a lot of like the, that kind of like racist, um, uh, you know, very colonial sort of a horror movie stuff is it is largely colonizers displacing their own insecurities about themselves onto other people. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like yeah. you, you just wandered into the society. You don't know shit about it. And you started taking stuff and like shooting people. You kind of deserve what you get here. Um, and so, um, mm-hmm. or at least when it comes to something like the wicker man, uh, the, it does, it does, I think a good job of bringing that home and going like, no, your issue is with yourself here like yeah Mm -hmm. you you can't just go and say like oh well this is some faraway land where they're like this and blah blah it's like no these are people that talk like you and look like you and have the same like a lot of the same cultural touchstones you probably know the same music and all that that kind of stuff like you can't displace this completely like this is you you are bringing you bring this with you where you go somewhere and right um, like how he brings this like it, it's it's proper and it's endorsed by society, but he brings this horrible ideology and this bedrock assumption with him. And it's like, that is kind of like one of the, the, the bits of horror or like, that's one of the aspects of the horror of that movie is that like, yeah, the society you're going into turns out to actually have this real brutal undercurrent to it. That's like really delusional. However, how these assumptions he bring into it are fucking horrible right and, yes. and all this and so like i appreciate how um that movie does yeah does a, a good job of going like no you you bring this horror with you it is not in the people necessarily that you were going to visit or you're going to colonize or you're going to go you know put your white christian colonizer fist down upon to civilize it's like the you you're bringing that with you um yeah no absolutely so, yeah um Another thing, one of the one of the last themes I have on here to just touch on is like, I think folk horror, maybe more so than any other subgenre of horror, deals with a lot of, I guess, just like the mysticism and the the violence that's been perpetuated against, like especially you know women's bodies is is a big one, um, which is like you know um, that idea comes up quite a bit, and obviously like 
you know, Hagazusa deals with this a little bit. I mean, that's a that's a movie about, you know, fearing the other. And of course, like there's a lot of that movie's incredibly violent, but set on an incredibly beautiful backdrop. So it's like this Alpine <laughs> mountain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's this juxtaposition, but it's um and I think, you know, obviously a reason that's, you know, such a prominent theme in my opinion is just because, you know, it's women's bodies have been something that's been so made to seem other for so long or made to seem mysterious or like tied to the earth somehow and therefore very mystical and like hard to control and um, so very heavily regulated. So just the existence of that body and even if it's, it, especially if it's like a naked body, it's so terrifying, you know, and it, it comes with so much um, cultural baggage, I guess. So that's, it's something that um, is pretty common throughout all folk horror movies and sometimes it makes them a little bit difficult to watch Mm -hmm. you know um because it's such a common theme right yeah i mean like if you start looking at just horror in general and it's like how much of this like women be crazy like there's like that is such like (laughs) a a thing like or um like that kind of thing of like that there is like the women are represented by the wilds in in Mm -hmm. a way and that their anger when it comes out is you know this monstrous thing, but also it's like emotional and irrational and all this other, like, you know, it's beyond our like understanding or something. And that's every, and like, or their like sexuality um, mm-hmm. or adolescence or anything like that involving like women tends to have this like mystical aspect to it that just stems from like weird misogyny that goes back since forever. But, right. the, um, but um, but Hagazusa, I think, is is a good example of that. Of the um, like at at core, that movie is about like a woman who just has a really abusive, bad childhood and kind of can't fit in essentially, and is victimized right. by everyone around her because she's an easy mark and a weirdo, kind of. Um, and yeah. then uh, there's mushrooms and catching on fire later, but the uh, <laughs> and all that. But like Hereditary, I feel like like is is a full core movie. But that's one I, I also think of when I think of like. Oh, this is about like this generational trauma, but it 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 manifests itself so fully in um, Tony Collette's like character and her performance. It's like there is just this pent up rage mm-hmm. and this pent up whatever that like once it comes out, it just comes out, and it's like how many horror movies are just women essentially taking revenge in some sort of way, whether or not they are the hero or the antagonist. It is like a, I have had enough <laughs> kind of uh, moment. And, it's uh, Yes, you're exactly right. It's like this ancient rage that just kind of sits within you. And it's like, you have to be one thing on the surface and then you're something completely different underneath. And it's like the tension between those two things just is yeah. ripe. Like, <laughs> well, that's why horror is sort of a woman's game. I think <laughs> and why we're the star of a lot of horror movies. Like there's not a lot of horror movies where the, a man is the star really like he'll be sort of the horrifying force sometimes and the woman will be too, but she's often, I mean, the final girl, you know, anything like that. She Mm -hmm. rids herself of men or the forces that are keeping her like under control. You know what I mean? And she's the primary force of change. Yeah. I I remember years ago talking to someone who was just talking about like, misogyny in media and sexism in media and uh it was all going well until they were like well and this is why women don't watch a lot of horror movies is because uh- <laughs> and i'm like 
Tell me more. <laughs> Untrue. Like, like, yeah, I have, I have some news for you, sir. Um, and stuff. It was actually at the time I knew, or, or a few years before I'd known someone who was going to school specifically to be like a horror makeup artist and stuff. And oh. I just knew like uh, so many of the people I knew in my life who were like horror fans were all women uh, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and so forth. And they're like women hugely involved in writing it and talking about it um in being in fans of it doing some like the most interesting work in it it's just like this it's it was such a bizarre thing to hear and i, I can see how it worked in their brain where they're like oh well violence in media and especially in horror is often depicted as being against women and mm-hmm. realizing uh, women or pathologizing them therefore women must not like this and it's just like it is more complicated than that it is just more complicated <laughs> than that. you like, can tell when someone maybe hasn't talked to a lot of you women. know enter <laughs> <Yeah>. in general <laughs> yeah. enter group here yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> like when they make those big broad statements yeah it's very interesting it's just kind of like funny i'm, I'm like i'm like i it is hard to come across a genre that has more to say good or bad about femininity and uh, gender than, mm-hmm. than horror. It's just there. It's often in a horrible way, but it's there <laughs> and stuff. It, it is, um, and often in a really good way too, but it is like kind of at the forefront of, right. of messing with that, you know, mm-hmm. like you're talking about mm-hmm. the final girl thing. Final girl thing mm-hmm. comes with a lot of like reactionary shit, but it also was like, I remember there was a, there's some sort of, um, of one of the documentaries on Shudder that's like a seven hour documentary about the Friday the 13th series, which I don't know if you've watched oh, it. I haven't. No, I haven't seen watched it. Around. it it's yeah. really good because there's a Nightmare on Elm Street one that's like three or four hours long that's very good. And mm-hmm. then you have a Friday the 13th one that's like literally like five hours long or something. And it's just like the cast of every movie getting together and talking about the movie as they go. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting is that the Nightmare on Elm Street ones were always a little more high concept and stuff like mm. oh, he's playing on your dreams he's doing this and like there's all these characters whereas Friday the 13th is not really a high concept <laughs> type of thing and so you didn't have, have sex die yeah, it, so, like, it is it is certainly lacks some of that those aspirations that at least underpin some of the Nightmare on Elm Street stuff like Friday the 13th is just a ripoff of Halloween that they added just enough weird stuff in that it caught on in a different kind of way. In fact, actually mm-hmm. in the, in the, in the documentary, I believe they have like the producer or someone at the beginning go, yeah, we just wanted to rip off Halloween. Cause it had been like really popular. And I was like, yeah. bravo for just coming out. And admitting it. But, um, <laughs> what was interesting about that, that, that series, which I would not say is particularly progressive in its depiction of, of gender relations or sexuality or anything um, is w- seeing um, the people in them, talk about what it meant to them versus what they think of it now. Cause sometimes they're like, Oh yeah, that was just a sexist piece of shit movie I was in. But sometimes they're like, no, actually this is what I found in this character. And this is why this is interesting to me and all that. And it was really cool seeing all the people that were involved with that, who were either like, I was woman number six that got beheaded in that movie or a guy going like, yeah, I was gay coded and I, uh, in that movie or gay and I got murdered in this way and all these different things. Like, it's just, it's interesting seeing that, how the interplay between like, this is really regressive and also occasionally breaks through that to actually say something pretty subversive. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And the people who were actually involved in, in particular, the women who were on screen uh, kind of, 
the various ways that they kind of grapple with that. And it's like, yeah, it's complicated. This is a complicated thing that it that doesn't yeah. come down as easily to like one of these other things. It's so, it, it's so deep, right. you know, it deals mm-hmm. so deep that it's, it's not, it's just more complicated. So. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Steph, you went to um, that Q and a, uh, the Texas chainsaw massacre Q and a. Yeah. Which there is really was- interesting. Yeah, Joe Bob Briggs recently had a, there was like a two night reunion between the first night was the casting crew of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and then the crew of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And they they watched through the movie um, both nights and just would comment on it. That was really, really interesting at the time, especially between the disparities of the crew. Um, they were like, oh yeah, putting this on my resume was like a great thing that got me so many jobs and then the cast was like i did not talk about it because that would not get mm-hmm. me apart <laughs> and there were like they right. kind of suffered for being in that movie and the crew was like oh yeah that, this mm-hmm. kickstarted my career um yeah that was actually that was a really <laughs> really cool thing that i went to um oh, that sounds rad. i and i got to watch texas chainsaw massacre two nights in a row which i'm willing to do in yeah. any <laughs> week um that's that's um yeah, like I, I do like these. You would just really quick what you were saying about like, oh yeah, I can put on my resume. It's like again the disreputableness of horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's uh, <laughs> right. Uh, and <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That just reminds me, was like really heavily criticized at the time it came out, and even I think a little bit now as being deeply misogynistic. And that's why I didn't watch it for so long. I was like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to deal with it. And then I finally watched it and I'm like, where, <laughs> when <laughs> I, I don't, maybe it's just me, but I don't really see it. Like, I'm not getting that. Like no one is really besides like the random shots of Pam's like entire ass falling out of her shorts with the exception of those things. It's not really, it's not sexualized. It's <laughs> just how it was in the seventies. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> seventies. Um, but there's no like, you know, there, there's no assault. There's no sexualization of the victims. Like, and they all are treated the exact same way, which is terribly. They're all killed. The, the killings don't feel very, like, gendered. Do you know what I mean? It's not weird trying to be, like, sexy yeah. violence. Yeah. And there's not, like, right. the death of Pam is, is not specific to her gender. And the death of Kurt is not specific to his gender. They both die horribly. Right. <laughs> And I think that was pretty like progressive <laughs> for the time. And I was very, very pleasantly surprised when I watched it for the first time. And now it's one of my favorite movies. I, love, <laughs> I really love Chainsaw Massacre for a few reasons. One of them is, um, it is that aspect, that kind of interplay between the vulnerabilities of the people who are coming from the outside. Um, mm-hmm. uh, also, just her laughing at the end is one of the, like, in him kind of doing <laughs> yes. his little chainsaw rage and stuff. But mm-hmm. I've, I've known a lot of people who identify with different air uh, people in that movie, either, uh, you know, in the truck laughing uh, or mm-hmm. in the road chainsawing or like in stuff in like really, really very different ways and stuff that are all like really cool and interesting and stuff and all that. But like um, one of the things that's interesting, actually, this ties into what we were talking about before of like that movie is one of the prototypical like outsiders come to place don't know mm-hmm. what they're getting into oh no even the gas station guys and and the police are in cahoots and all that but this was made during a time of rapid deindustrialization mm-hmm. and all this and there's this fear of rural poverty 
essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But you see all over the place. You know, I mentioned True Detective earlier, but like that first season ends in a similar place of like, here is a house out in the middle of nowhere. Oh my God, what's been going on here? Also, they're hoarding things. It's very filthy. And all, none of these people <laughs> keep up their houses for some reason. So like, <laughs> and they all live there. Like you could, you know, run the vacuum. Can you imagine yeah. a very clean, like spooky house? No. Right. <laughs> Well, I guess that, that is hereditary, but the, um, That's um, but the, like, um, but there is that, that depiction of essentially like rural poverty of like backwardsness and uh, you're going to go out here and catch poor essentially. Like you're right. going to, oh, you moved out here and, and stuff. And in some ways it's like depicting actual like issues of people who are just utterly dispossessed from society and all that, because they're kind of yeah. out there. There's not a lot of jobs there's not a lot of infrastructure mm-hmm. and everything, and it's cheap to live there. Um, mm-hmm. So you get a lot of yeah. poverty there. You get a lot of poverty, poverty everywhere, but there's a particular kind of aesthetic to it that gets used within movies. And Texas Chainsaw Massacre has that a little bit. And what's, what's interesting about that is that it's different than spooky old rambling houses in... Um, in some earlier horror, which has this era of like, oh, nobility lived here or rich people lived here or something. Right. And like, walking to the Texas Chainsaw House, and you're like, that's kind of a big house. But I don't get the idea that like this was ever noble or regal mm-hmm. or something. This is just a big old house out in the woods or out in the country. Yeah. And yeah. it's spooky because it's a big old house out in the country. But like it actually is associated with poverty because that lives that you know this is within again a capitalist like productive society it's like why weren't these people productive in that way like why weren't they Mm -hmm. able to bring this home what happened was it dysfunction was there just no jobs anymore was there this or that or that kind of thing and that kind of underpins a lot of our depiction of rural poverty it's just this backwards sort of like there's something in the people there that made them like this usually Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And 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 all that, which is part of like, in part, how we path, uh, pathologize uh, poverty and, mm-hmm. and and all that. Like, you, you don't you don't get a lot of like, well, um, everything was going fine here until uh, granddad lost his job. And also this one guy was weird and like this and it trapped these people here and all these other things. Like, there's not a lot of outside forces often. It's it's the evil is like within the people themselves, which is again, They're like we, animals. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's how we um, talk about why certain people don't have nice houses, essentially, or why certain people are not, uh, you know, proper in that sense and such that they go feral or whatever, oftentimes. And I think Chainsaw Massacre does that. However, the kids that come in are just dicks. Like, they <laughs> yes. <just> suck. <laughs> And so there yes. is a little thing where it's like, yeah, you came and messed with the townies. I don't know what you expected. Like, you know, there is that thing <laughs> of the this outside world encroaching in and being like, well, look at this place and stuff like they do get their comeuppance for it. And mm-hmm. yeah, one of the things I like about Leatherface is that like he's the bad guy in the movie, but there's not like a lot of like malice there like when he's doing his little chainsaw dance at the end he seems just like ah you know like i'm like upset but also there's this weird like i don't want to say beauty to it because that seems like a weird simplicity yeah right like um and um and these characters are all coded in different ways but it's an interesting interplay between what we do and don't like pathologize 
um, and uh, and how that how that's going, and like how you could watch that movie and kind of come away with the fact of like, you know, the cannibals honestly are not the worst people in in this because you know these like yeah bunch of jerks that come out here, um, or something. So it like that yeah. like one of the things I think that's brilliant about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, either purposely or accidentally, it um it kind of touches on these issues of class and these issues of um how um uh, how, how, how that productivity and that wealth and uh, is tied to location and what gets like forgotten or like left behind and uh, yeah that's a perfect way to describe it i mean um there's this book written by joseph lanza and stephanie and i actually were talking about this a little bit last night we were talking about like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and how it kind of has some parallels to folk horror in a way, like, cause it deals with this idea of a family that, um, you know, their whole, I mean, they exist in Texas, which is of course like an oil hub. And at the time this film came out, there was a massive oil crisis. So you were dealing with like the idea of lack of resources you're dealing with, um, you know, a family that's very much, very much isolated and seen as other by this group of what you would call like yuppies, <laughs> um, who kind of represent this very like white America before, you know, like right before that time, like this innocent, this like idea of being like these innocent, carefree people just out on the road, you know, living their best life, coming into contact with the way the, the world actually is Mm -hmm. for people that live in this part of the world right Mm -hmm. so and it's those two worlds like clashing together and then you know it they kind of explode (laughs) next to each other um yeah oh go ahead i was gonna say well and and that's what's interesting about the movie is because you both can read it as like you look at the rural pores or you can look and be like no this is a jacked up version of what reality actually is like reality actually is pretty brutal and yep. there are people like, and there's all this kind of stuff like going on. Uh, and so like you, you have these more like realistic characters, for lack of better words, that represent prosperity and represent kind of that outside like na- naivete kind of wandering into the situation uh, mm-hmm. and being like, oh shit, that's like, this is how things actually are outside of my little like bubble, my little, yeah. wasp, my little waspy bubble. And like, so there's like that kind of difference between like what we call folk horror and what we just call uh, hillbillies in the woods, you know, stuff. Those are like two different things. Like we don't necessarily right. think of them in the same way. Um, right. I think possibly just because Texas Chainsaw Massacre doesn't have like a cosmology to it. It doesn't have like, uh-huh. you know, like a lot of the, the now cliche things that people do when they make folk horror is like I walked into the woods and there was some creepy sticks put together or something. And yeah. Uh, Something like that, like throw some of that in, we'd probably it would probably still somewhat fall under that kind of definition because folk horror, yeah, uh, and it needs to call back to the idea that this is this is something that is pre-Christian or outside of that somehow, like they're yeah tied into this sort of like idea of like a more like pagan or ex outside of of Christian or kind of like Enlightenment secular. Uh, kind of assumptions and stuff. But the fact that it doesn't do that, that's what makes me automatically start thinking of it in like these like material senses of like, okay, why is this like this? You know, we don't get a lot. There's not a lot. There isn't a culture to it in the sense that you go, oh, this is why the society is like this. It's more like, why is this family 
like the <laughs> yeah yeah and you know what's interesting is like at the very beginning of the movie when they're driving in the in the van um one of the characters i think it's the one with her butt hanging out half the time pam, <laughs> pam. Mm-hmm. she's like reading uh the astrology she's like into astrology and she's reading everyone's um she's doing readings for everyone. And then there's something on the radio about like a lunar eclipse or a solar eclipse happening. And so there's these little like indicators that like, there's something supernatural maybe like in the world, but it's not really ever brought up again. It's just kind of like this moment at the beginning where you kind of get this foreboding sense of things, but it's not really a theme that carries throughout. So I, yeah, I definitely wouldn't consider Texas Chainsaw to be a folk horror, but it does have themes that run parallel. And Toby Hooper specifically said he wanted to, because things, the movies that he had made before that were very like surreal kind of like supernatural ish kind of movies, but he came into Texas Chainsaw Massacre specifically wanting to make something devoid of supernatural elements. Right. Like right. Yeah. And like, so with, with the um, astrology stuff that Pam is reading and then kind of on the radio, I feel like it's like, Hey, we kind of might be doing this. And then you find out it has nothing yeah. to do with anything made up or anything mystical. It's just reality. It's just these people living out in the middle of nowhere right. or like, kind of abandoned by society (laughs) yeah yeah there's there's an element too i think where there's the association of like astrology and that almost with this kind of like bourgeois mentality or whatever of like Mm -hmm. oh here's all these big things that are going to affect stuff but then it's like no Leatherface, he's just got a chainsaw and a hammer. Like, it's just a yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool the hardware store shit, you know? Like, mm-hmm. there is nothing here. There is just this kind of, like, brutality and willingness and eagerness to trespass norms and uh, take life in the very... I mean, take away the costume. It's a pretty mundane story of, uh, you know, a dude and uh, his family and a chainsaw and stuff. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty simple. That's one of the things I liked about uh, Chainsaw Massacre is there's, like... Like I don't, I, I don't remember the sequels very well. I don't know if they build a lot of mystical shit into it at some point, but it is mm. just like, um, yeah, this is just like some cold hard reality that's out there that doesn't. There's no big conspiracy. This isn't like tied to anything else. You just went down the wrong road, kind of. Yeah, and I think Leatherface. Be- yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I think Leatherface becomes more like less of a ch- like childlike almost in the sequels. But I think that's I don't I don't know how much mythology they, they weave into it, though. Right. They leave that out. But yeah, no, I mean, that's it's absolutely got some parallels. And I think, you know, just to wrap us up as we're nearing. um well, we're over the two hour mark, mm. so we don't want to keep you too long. Um, one of my last questions for you, Scott, was just a little bit about, um, let me scroll up to my notes here. It's a question about kind of like what's next for you on your creative project front. I know that mm-hmm. um, there is the Glory Society tweeted out um, kind of a teaser mm-hmm. gif of something that's coming up and uh yeah. And does that tie in any like elements of horror? Of course, you can keep it as high level as you need to. Uh, yeah, I think that like everything, at least that Bethany and I are involved with, tends to have some sort of horror element to it. Mm-hmm. Different than mm-hmm. saying it's a horror project. Because um, like Night in the Woods, like it, it depends, like, is that a horror game or not? Like there is like like some people are like, oh, it's a horror game. And it's just 
not a horror game in the sense that it's like resident evil or one of these kind of like or silent hill or something it's just it's a it's about horror in a different way so i think it's safe to say there's always some sort of horror aspect of it um and all that but i can't I can't say anything beyond that because we haven't yeah no that's perfect after We're it's excited. announced i can say whatever about it but um <laughs> yeah yeah I, I feel like um I, I will say that like um the the, the full core stuff is always yeah i think going to be kind of part of what we do a little bit mm-hmm. just be, because of that background bethany grew up in like the country and like central pa and so it's just like the assumptions and the background are there to you know when you when you shoot horror through that and are interested in the kind of the culture um and the kind of cosmology of it you're going to end up with something full horror full horror a lot um <laughs> And so, so it kind of goes there and there's like, I mean, there's a lot of films we didn't, we didn't touch on, but like that, that idea of, um, kind of the, um, the, the, the wilds as like either like idyllic or this place of like kind of great evil or something. Mm-hmm, it's, right. it's where you find stuff or, you know, you go out there and you encounter something and it's like oftentimes not, not good <laughs> at, at all. Uh, yeah. And and all that, and I feel like that that plays into like you know like Hagazusa so the ritual, um, uh, like Blair Witch had that, and and other things of like the you went out there, and that's just kind of like and so I, I think like there's there's a comfort and a familiarity and like a fascination with empty spaces, um, and with with Bethany and I, it's um, empty spaces that we were just like accustomed to growing up in different places mm-hmm. and all that mm-hmm. so i think like that's not really a spoiler it's just like a oh no like i think everything we do ends up having something something like that to it a little mm-hmm. bit of um that kind of interested in, in landscapes and the culture there and kind of like how at least when we're like we're often talking about capitalism or uh, and and things of that sort and like that just maps on so well to this kind of thing in the same way that like folk horror and cosmic horror end up intersecting a whole lot. Cause it's mm-hmm. like this unknown thing. And like early cosmic horror with like a uh, Machin and like stuff like has that element of folk horror to it of like, there's this, there's this thing out there, this unknown thing that you have that is again, outside of your, you know, Christian enlightenment, you know, era stuff. Right. It's, it's been there and it does not answer to you or anyone that you answer to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, right. thing. And I think like uh, there's enough of that in mo- almost everything that we make. So if uh, yeah, yeah, that's I'm trying to think. Is that a spoiler? No, it's not. A spoiler. <laughs> well, because the thing we're making isn't like Nightwood, which which dealt with that at all. Yeah, but, um, right, right. So great. Well, thank you so much, Scott, for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and meet you. And it's, yeah, it's still not our here. longest episode. So <laughs> didn't make the mark. <laughs> Yeah, I'm if like, you want to sit I'm on for through the other movies, I'm like, uh, Blood on Satan's Claw. No, anyway. <laughs> if you want to just what sit on do? for dead air silence it's for the fine. next 21 minutes, then we might be able to. <laughs> Actually, hold on. Before we go, I will plug a full core movie that I didn't see on the list, which is November, which is oh, okay. a an Estonian movie shot Ooh. in glorious black and white from a few years ago with the incredibly generic name of November. Highly recommend go check it out it's available yes. on like I, I forget where else. you can do at least like google play rented or something which is where i think i saw it it might be on shutter it might be somewhere else but like 
that is a straight up Estonian folklore horror movie. And it is so weird. One of the great things about folklore is that it's weird and doesn't make a lot of sense because uh, Mm -hmm. if you, if you don't know why, and so there's like things happening. We're like, why did that happen? But you know, it kind of makes some internal sense kind of thing. It's just, it's funny and weird and yeah, it's just it's creepy. It's great. Highly, highly. That recommend sounds it. like absolutely my thing. I'm yeah. into yeah. very weird movies. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> also, how many Estonian movies do you get to see? Right? Not I a know. lot. Might be my Not first. enough. Not enough. Yeah. Um, well, th- yeah, again, thank you so much. It's been like amazing talking to you and like just getting to know you. And it's yeah, just amazing to much. see the face behind such amazing creativity. You my, know? My, so, my post-nap face. I don't even think I brushed <laughs> my hair before this. I usually look slightly <laughs> disheveled. But... You look cooler than I normally do like three hours after getting up. So don't worry about it. And thanks for having me. Yes. Yeah, thank, thank you so you. much. It's been great. It's been a pleasure. Uh, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I'll, uh, I'll sign us off. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.